flying in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scats. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. And every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels Wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming speed. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah, that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like. I wish, I wish that every time we love it, it feels just like this. Like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we move it, it feels just like this. Feels just like this. It's just, it's like, like who the donkey? We would turn some dumb shit into something that got everybody wild. And our circumference make assumptions, it ain't nothing new. Fuck a mile, fuck a you. I've been chewing through these rappers, flavors lasting over loop. Gumbo student of a bed that Carolina writes Two J's and I'm dying nobody Good time, singing in the chapel Waiting for a hot meal Lighting up the count I am your host, Brianna Joy Gray And we are here for another episode of Fat Oops, nope, wrong podcast To debrief I hope you guys are doing well We've got a lot to talk about I know I put, obviously, the subject of this episode As student debt Which is the subject of today's Bad Faith So we will definitely be talking about that but I also recently became aware of an article in the New Republic that takes some uh, shots at yours truly and Katie Halper and other friends of the show. And I thought it might be interesting to read a little bit of that on the record and go through it together because uh, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of fun. It's, it has to do with this app, the app being funded by David Sachs and some questions that we've been talking about on here for a long time, but especially since um, the firing of Katie Halper by the Hill about what it means to work for these media companies that are funded by people whose politics we very much don't agree with. Uh, and moreover, it might be also worth talking about uh, today on Rising where I did a radar that was very much in the same topic of the radar for which Katie got uh, fired and what we think of that happening and them allowing that to happen. And I was kind of surprised and I don't really know what to make of it. Uh, so let's, before, before we get into it, I'm just tell you a little bit more about this article that I just teased, but obviously maybe you don't know anything about. 
Uh, it's in the New Republic, as I mentioned, and it's called The Quiet Political Rise of David Sachs, Silicon Valley's Prophet of Urban, Urban Doom. Subtitle, like his pals Elon Musk and Peter Thiel, Sachs is using his wealth and online clout to unite conservatives and former leftists in a reactionary movement against liberalism. Well, I will definitely own up uh, to being against liberalism, uh, at least against uh, neoliberalism. This is how the this is how the article opens. Last month, Chesa Boudin, the former district attorney of San Francisco, spoke with the leftist podcaster and commentator Katie Halper on YouTube about the recall campaign that removed him from office in June. Soon after taking office in January 2020, Boudin, a former public defender who had promised a program of criminal legal reform, police accountability and decarceration, was held responsible for San Francisco's crime and social dysfunction by a coalition of business leaders tech moguls, and even some of his former subordinates at the district attorney's office. Speaking to Halper, Boudin gave a passionate defense of his politics while also zeroing in on the moneyed forces arrayed against him. Quote, there's no limit to how much you can donate to a recall in San Francisco, he said, and it's very easy to hide the true source of those funds. The interview wrapped up, but the conversation wasn't over. Halper invited her audience to discuss on Colin, a growing podcast platform, the, quote, AstroTurf recall that removed Boudin. But there was a glaring, unacknowledged irony. Colin, which has attracted a swath of very online journalists from the left, right, and murkier ideological corners, was co-founded by David Sachs, a venture capitalist and longtime tech executive who was one of Boudin's earliest and most vocal opponents. Sachs had branded Boudin the killer DA whose policies caused innocent people to die. He told former Fox News star Megyn Kelly that there was chaos and lawlessness in San Francisco, a product of Soros DAs with their, quote, progressive agenda of decarceration. He challenged Boudin to a public debate, quote, if you have the huevos, Sachs said, and then accused him of backing out of an agreed upon appearance on All In, the popular podcast Sachs co-host with fellow tech investors Jason Kalkanis and Chamath uh, Pilahapitia and David Friedberg. Sachs was also one of the biggest recall donors. At one point in 2021, nearly one third of all donations against Boudin came from him. Halper was trying to parse Boudin's loss on a platform run by the man who had helped lead it. Quote, under a system of global capitalism and tech monopolies, all platforms have owners, Halper said. But I don't speak for them and they don't speak for me. This goes on quite a bit. Uh, and I will just read the part that involves me and then we can get into it or not, or get back to the episode, whatever you guys want to do into your show. Um, skipping down in the fall of 2021, Sachs launched Colin with $12 million, uh, in series a funding building on its predecessors. Colin offered both live and recorded audio discussions, podcast hosting and ways for users to interact with hosts. The company made deals to bring aboard established journalists and podcasters and the site sensibility quickly became defined by post-left, contrarian, or otherwise reactionary libertarian types, such as Jesse Single, Jimmy Dore, Glenn Greenwald, Benjamin Norton, Michael Tracy, Brianna Joy Gray, and Matt Taibbi. All right. All right. The floor is yours. Bide. Been quick quick on the draw these last uh, couple of call-ins. What's on your mind? Uh, this is really juicy. <laughs> 
I did not. <laughs> I, I I am pulling up the article now. It's very interesting. I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, honestly, at this point. I mean, they're obviously trying to paint you as some kind of, um, I don't know, David Sachs flunky. Uh, and if you All are, then you're doing a you're, you're doing a really good job of it. If you are uh, <laughs> full marks, just five stars, 100 um, percent. Wow. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to read this article more. I definitely want to hear more of your thoughts about it and what I wonder why they're going after Colin right now when it's still so fairly, you know, it's still a pretty small app, all things considered, you know, it's, it's, it's still pretty intimate. I don't think it's, it's almost like they give more publicity to some of these things by the way they react sometimes, you know, like the Streisand effect. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I mean, the thing you know. that this really got me is like, it opens with talking about Katie and it's like the irony of Katie, like having like talking to Chessa on an app that was funded by the people who were trying to defeat Chessa. And it's like, well, yeah, that's the story actually. <laughs> like, are you going to yeah. engage yeah. with the fact that the claims that you're making about the people in the app are undermined by the opening anecdote in your article? And wouldn't it be interesting to talk to Katie? Cause you obviously got a comment for her for this article talk to Katie about whether or not she's felt any pressure to say anything or whether or not there's ever been pushback for her doing things like having someone who's a sworn enemy of the person who funds the app on her show and defending him. Are you going to interrogate the politics of anybody on the show? Are you going to lump me in to a group of quote reactionary libertarian types <laughs> who display Former a wide uh, variety of views? Yeah. I'm sorry, did I, did I, I, I mean, it's, it's back? ridiculous because, oh no, are you still, are you still there? I just said former leftists, mm -hmm. um, that you are um, former leftist. Yeah. For murky, former murky person or whatever it is. Murky. Uh, that's okay. I'm happy here in the Merc. That's fine with me. Uh, <laughs> it's weird though. It's, it's so weird because like, I'm a little thrown by this because the, the whole, like you said, the, the first sentence or the first couple of sentences kind of undermine the whole point of the article. And it's always these kinds of articles that get written when I don't remember. I mean, I don't know if the New Republic published something about Katie Hopper actually getting fired from the Hill or if they mentioned that. Right. In this. Right. Which is, I mean, that's literal censorship that is actually happening. This is trying to basically imply that Katie is a puppet of david sachs and his agenda and whatever and by somehow platforming his opponents there's this like 4d chess move of like being fake leftists and getting people into uh you know drawing them into uh some kind of QAnon that believes everyone should have health care or something like that right <laughs> it's it's weird it's it, because like they're totally silent whenever there's an actual i mean i'm assuming i, I don't remember seeing anything from new republic or uh a lot of the bigger named uh, journals out there about Katie Halper being fired for actually standing up for what she believed in, for actually putting a, uh, a radar out there that challenged the people who run that corporation and uh, suffering the consequences of it. I mean, if she was a puppet, would she have just gone along? I mean, she would have just gone along and pulled her piece and shut up about it. And I yeah. was very surprised to see, I did call in, I, I just wanted to, I don't want to take too much time. I just really wanted to 
uh, before everyone got into the student debt conversations, just talk about what that experience was like for submitting that radar. Because if I understand it, you have to like submit like the night before or something or a couple of days before, and then it they review it. And then the producer, I mean, we, everyone who knows the Katie Halper story at this point has an idea of how those things are kind of submitted and reviewed. Uh, but like, what, what was this situation like? And when did you decide you were basically going to put your, uh, the theory to the test as to whether or not you'd be sent? Well, so to that last question, you know, that was immediately a, a plan. Like that was immediately one of my goals when I decided ultimately to stay. It was just a matter of timing and wanting it to seem like relatively organic and not like intentionally provocative because I didn't want to give anybody an excuse, you know, that wasn't content based. Uh, and so when this Bill Maher story happened, I was like, okay, perfect. For those who don't know, Bill Maher did a segment a few days ago. Uh, ostensibly about Kanye West uh, and his anti-Semitic tweets and DMs and stuff. But uh, he brought on on Benjamin Netanyahu for some reason to talk about it because when I think, who do I want to weigh in on uh, popular rap artist uh, Kanye West, I think, oh, yes, former prime minister of Israel. That's the guy. <laughs> and he's going to view of things too especially <laughs> well right so even so very even flat that, like, very even, fair right? even even to the extent that like let's say hypothetically he could say something like true about uh you know objective about kanye west like the what the interview wasn't even about kanye west bill maher asks one quick question up top about no. like like a joke like would would israel uh, is Israel going to retaliate against Kanye West? And they like, kind of laugh it off. And then he starts asking him about a series of statements from Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, critical of Israel's treatment of Palestinians. And then the whole interview is uh, uh, Bill asking Bibi, like, okay, but do you think that Israel is an apartheid state? Absolutely not. Of course Israel's not an apartheid state. And it's ridiculous. Um and even his own audience kind of turned on him. Now that's to say, so when, when I saw that, it seemed like a good opportunity. Now what you said earlier about the process, like to be clear, there was no process. And that's part of why Katie's firing was such bullshit. Because in my entire experience of doing this, and this was corroborated by several other former hosts, and, you know, Robbie, obviously, we just like submit our radar via email or dropping the link to the Google Doc and the Slack. And nobody says anything. There's never any comment. It's just in the teleprompter the next day and you read it. I tend to submit right. my radars very late because I procrastinate. So even if they did want to say something, usually I submit it so late that like they can't. Like I submitted my Tuesday, my Wednesday radar at like 6 a.m. <laughs> so nice. This for this one. I, because I, again, didn't want to give anybody an excuses. I made sure to get it done relatively early. I think I submitted it by like 5 or 6 p.m. And I was just waiting to see if anyone was going to say anything. And I know that Bob Cusack, the editor-in-chief, who was the one that made the decision about Katie, has been added to the Slack channel. So I was kind of waiting to see if there was going to be any response. And there was nothing. And I woke up, and I came in, and I read it, and nobody said anything about anything. Interesting. And I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. But that's they're, what happened. They're just waiting. They're waiting in the wing. 
looking for the perfect <laughs> opportunity to pounce when you least expect it. Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, I heard people, you know, make – well, Kate and I were talking about this on our live stream about this, that, you know, there is something to perhaps, you know, Katie is – more unimpe- you know, unimpeachable and more able to make these kind of arguments because she's Jewish without getting the claim of anti-Semitism. So maybe she's considered to be more dangerous. Maybe they simply learn their lesson from the Katie debacle and are going to let me have this one. Um, you know, cause it, it, you know, it makes them look like they didn't actually censor Katie for ideological reasons, which I absolutely don't believe to be the case. So right. you know, maybe they just finally got a little bit of PR savvy and realized just let her get this out of her system. And they think it's a one-off and that they can just weather this one. And, you know, but like, I didn't know how this was going to go, but this is how it went. You should keep doing radars on Israel just every single day and make sure you're using the words apartheid. Like try to, you know what the ultimate test would be to try to do Katie's radar, just word for word at some point, like the next time something comes up, just, get her permission to just do the radar word for word and see if they see what they do at that point. Um, but that is interesting. It, you know, maybe they did learn their lesson, but it's almost like, I kind of wish, I don't know. I don't know. How do you feel about it? You know, cause I'm, I'm like torn. I don't know if it's better if they would have tried to fire you again. And then, you know, people could at least see that this is, Oh, this is real censorship. This is ridiculous. It just it all seems kind of like, like Katie just got screwed over for nothing, you know, like so that this corporation can learn its corporate lesson and then everyone just goes back to normal, you know? I mean, how do you feel about it? I mean, to be honest, I, I think that I think that there was censorship and I also think that there is there have been a series of just really poor management decisions made and those things are working in tandem. And I think that there was, you know, the Kim situation was poorly handled. I just think that with all the transition, people have not always understood the show. They don't know what it's about. They're from, like, traditional media. They don't get it. Um, They don't know Katie. They misinterpreted and mishandled the situation entirely. Um, And so it's a confluence of things. And so I wouldn't be surprised if, like, even if they wanted to censor the content, they might not have been so bad at it if the management weren't new and if the people involved had a bit more savvy. And they might have just learned their lesson about how not to blow up a situation a little bit. Um, And, you know, but it's it's really, it's honestly hard to tell. And I genuinely didn't know what was going to happen when I submitted this and I was prepared for any outcome. Well, it was cool to see. I'll say that. And it was cool also in the comments to see people talk about Katie Halper still um, and not not forget about that situation. But you got a lot of callers. Uh, I just want to get the the DLs uh, of the situation. So uh, all right. Looking forward to the rest of the episode. Thanks, bud. It's always good to hear from you. Keep the faith. All right. Fractal, how are you doing this evening? you doing this evening i'm doing all right i'm on my last chamomile beer of my six pack oh my goodness oh yeah i remember you mentioned that okay <laughs> you guys uh, like, drink a lot of beer don't you and i'm like no i drink a beer twice a week when i'm talking to you <laughs> that's it oh <laughs> uh, okay i see i see so um question um did you get my message on patreon 
No, I haven't checked the Patreon messages in a while. What's that? Please check. Oh, it's just about that episode that I talked about a couple weeks ago uh, okay. about nuclear war with Dr. West. And I just lessons we can learn from Dr. King's time. Um, I think what, what would he do if we were in this situation right now? Him and the like. I think that would be a very good topic. It's very prevalent. Okay. And, uh, and, and having Dr. West on a call in, I think would be great. Okay. You guys want to talk yeah. to Dr. West? You guys, you guys want to get hit with one of those, uh, you know, brothers or sisters? Absolutely, we need that in this in this, these dystopian times. Um, so, I did not get the chance to see the student debt episode. I've watched previous ones. I'm sure it's very similar. You've all of you've done a great job on the bogusness of it. I think uh, Miss Teslin Figaro is that how you pronounce her last name? Figaro, like. Figaro. Oh, Figaro. Oh, Figaro. Okay. So I believe her word of mascotism that she created is very appropriate for what's been happening in the last few weeks, um, including this, 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 this article that was written about you and Katie Helper. Um, so we start with Kanye. Um, hot take from my wife. She believes that Kardashian, Kim Kardashian was a victim. I told her I think it's a very similar to Johnny Death and Amber Heard. I think they both were just miserable, like horrible to each other personally. Just mm-hmm. a black version. <laughs> why, do, um, why do you say that? Has there been? Oh. I mean, I'm just I'm really asking. Like, has there been like subtext of uh, like? Abuse? I mean, the fact that you had to ask that question a couple of weeks ago and talk with Red, who I think is hilarious. He's he's cool people's. Um, the fact that he's like, oh, you thought, you know, he had, you know, the motherly of Chris Jenner. Chris Jenner pimps her own kids. Like, come on. <laughs> like, that, that is not what was happening there. I think that, and then he admitted to, like, on the Joe Rogan podcast that he was drugged up and whatnot. I'm like, I knew they were, like, having him on drugs. I mean, he's got his own issues. I just think that in that situation, with all the fame, and all, Kim Kardashian is not innocent either, but, you know, at the same time, in this situation with the divorce and whatnot, I could believe that he's saying and doing the things he's saying and doing. I'm just saying that just their whole relationship itself never seemed healthy and that it was just two people. I don't, I don't understand what the accusation is about uh, Kim Kardashian. What, what, is, what is it that we think that Kim, like what, how, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be like. Uh, no, 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 I understand. Well, I mean. I'm actually trying to understand. There, there's just the, the thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going off of, and I could be wrong. I'm going off of the reputation of just Kim Kardashians are just bad for black men's health. <laughs> just that whole pop okay, but come culture. On. Like, do you have you? I mean, are you talking from having watched the show or seeing something about her affect or seeing something she's written? Like, let's let's be specific here. Well, one because a lot of episodes of this podcast was me talking about how I I'm a little frustrated by everyone who just it's like a fun thing to do to just you, you sound a little low by the way. Sorry, you sound a little low by the way. Oh, sorry. For some reason, for the last couple of call-ins, I've been hearing myself very, very loud compared to you. So I've been okay. trying to like turn it down, but then I can barely hear you. So I was trying to get away from the mic. But if that ah, makes sound see, quiet, see. then I guess I mean, it's just me that I sound loud to. So, okay. If I'm doing just off of the context of one, um, Chris Jenner literally had something to do with the Ray J take, which everybody was just like, ugh. To okay, but not Kris Jenner, Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian, probably just from the fact that all of them, including Kim, I, would you agree that maybe they do a little bit of culture vulturing to a degree? Yeah, uh, of course, but that's a very different thing than an accusation that she's abusive of, of, in a relationship. Of abusive. 
Right. So it's just it's it's just the notion of like something's not right in that family, just how they treat one another, whether it's verbal or emotional. Physical abuse, I have no evidence of that. But just from watching them and just how fake things are, it's just like mm, that situation definitely seems like it was like not kosher to put it kindly. <laughs> Look, and it was I, all for cameras. I, I people can get take from what they want, and obviously no one really knows what part is real and what is fake. But my right. my belief is that the appeal of the Kardashians and for the appeal for people who actually watch the Kardashians and not just like be mad at them abstractly from the images that they get on Twitter or whatever is that the whole appeal of it is that there's a lot of intimacies and closeness in the family. I really? Mean, when you watch it, especially from the beginning, it's like, they're not that famous yet. They're young girls. They're wrestling and doing pillow fights and like, you know, farting on each other and talking about diarrhea. And like, like how far back is that? How far back are those episodes? I mean, they've been, they've been doing it for like 20 years, and not 20 years, but they've been doing it for like, what, 12 years, something like that? 12, yeah, I'm talking about like most recent, but probably. Most recently too, I mean, really? okay. a lot of, they know they're on camera, they obviously set up scripted situations and stuff, but there seem to be real fights between the sisters, real sibling mm-hmm. rivalries that really ring, ring true, and also a lot of sibling love that really rings true. When Kim gets married and goes through her, like, um her like mom's wedding dress and you know sees old pictures which of marriage are we talking cries. about come on no the one when i say which one i mean that sincerely and a I, lot I, of people felt that that what one I, what i'm trying to get at and what i remember is her crying because of how sad she was that her dad who's deceased wasn't going to be at her uh, okay yeah you know of course of course, so, of, like, course of course I, i'm saying like i'm not saying that the whole thing is real and whatnot but there there, there are human beings that we're seeing get married yes. and have babies and those things are all really happening no that, no of course pathos behind that and i think that that's why people are attracted to the show and in 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 that context i feel despite however you might feel about her parenting style or whether you would have tried to market your child sex tape and those kinds of things, there's a lot of like what feels to me like real genuine warmth and familial ties. That is kind of nice to watch. And when you look at some of these other reality shows, a lot of people contrast um, the Hadid sisters' relationship with their mom to the Kardashians' relationship to Chris. And there's just... Whatever you want to say about Chris, there's a lot more warmth and understanding there. Well, than there maybe is. this, maybe this is why my wife's 96 year old grandma from Jackson, Mississippi, loves to watch the Kardashians because my wife always says she loves to watch it because she loves family. Maybe that's why. Yeah, it's, it's just it's a family show. It, maybe it, it's yeah. Go ahead. Maybe, maybe it's the ambiance and their reputation of being in Hollywood and being in the media and just all of this stuff that precedes them that gives the feeling for me personally that yeah Kanye was not good to Kim but it's like it's just this feeling of like something else was going on there but I have no evidence of it so I could be wrong like I said I could be wrong and I appreciate you giving me some insight there since I don't regularly watch the show I may get glimpses of it when I'm visiting my wife grandma I haven't watched in years because I don't have cable or Hulu and I can't access it (laughs) right exactly and then like I have Hulu but I'm not going to watch that I I I will watch anime before I watch the cartoon. I will watch. I will watch documentaries. I will watch um, Beyond Scared Straight before I watch the cartoon. Because <laughs> some of that is funny. Next time, I want you to to ask your um your wife's mom. I want to know what grandma says. I mean, 
to grandma. Like you said, it's about family. Like I, I want to get her notes. I want five sentences from grandma about why she likes the Kardashians. All right. Well, I will get those five sentences <laughs> and her Mississippi, Jackson's Mississippi, um, vibrato sing. Cause you, have you ever realized that old, old black folks that come from certain generation, they kind of sing when they talk. <laughs> what do you mean? My, well, my wife's grandma, she sings when she talks and my, my godmother, like, uh, Hey there, how you doing? <laughs> like that. It just, it's just that it's like, dang, it's the soul of black folks. Just something that that's what, is that what WD boys saw? Like it was just in them, you know, but, but the, full on the, on the pod then to hear her if it's such a, you know, such Oh my goodness. I mean, think about this. She was born before she had the right to vote as a woman and before she had the right to vote as a black woman, she was a sharecropper. She grew up in the Jim Crow South. She saw all of this. She said that Trump was the worst president she saw, at least on face value. She remembered when Putin was over here and she's like, oh, I remember stupid old Putin. He ain't know nothing until we taught him. And I was like, really, grandma? But she was right because because Putin came over here to go to college and learn. And remember, the Clintons had helped had Putin help them take the Soviet Union down. Wait, when did, where did Putin go to college? I don't, I don't know. She just remembered him being here. I was like, really? Putin was here? And this was when the whole Russiagate thing was going on, on NBC, like the beginning. So she remembered, she said, Putin was over here. He learned a lot over here. I was like, really? But a lot of, you know, people who are rich and powerful who um, have their kids go to colleges here in the U.S. So, she, first of all, she needs to come on the podcast. <laughs> I will tell. I will talk about Putin. We're going to talk about Jackson, Mississippi, and all of the shenanigans that are ongoing. Oh here. Lord, yes, yes. And we're going to talk about the Kardashians. Yeah, I'm really trying to get to do Irami's thing that he suggested at the beginning of the pandemic, where we need to all like just record our elders who are over the age of 65, give them like an hour and a half and tell them from decade to decade. Cause we do need their side of the story. I mean, Amazon is buying up public libraries. I, I, one of the quotes I, I was thinking about this week is that people in America, we love, and this is around the world too. We love history, but we don't like talking about the past. We'll even entertain her story, but we really don't want to talk about the past, mm. you know? And to, to, to move the show along, when I said mascar, um, mascotism, mm-hmm. this article for me is mascotting, oh, we're going to hold people accountable for working with billionaires. This was targeted specifically at y'all, just like they came at Clubhouse, just like they come at Substack. Mm-hmm. And to get, to get to the heart of mascotism, one of the things, um, I wanted to bring up to your attention. I actually wanted your opinion on something before I go forward. How did you feel after saying Roland Martin's name that one of his regulars came and replaced Batia? Wait, the the young woman from Monday is one of Roland Martin's regulars. You didn't know. Now she used I to have her own show. Her at all. Wait, what? She used to have her own show on RT America as well called Watch the Hawks. So some of Roland Martin's regulars used to be on there spitting some hot fire about American foreign policy. Wait, 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 wait. Yes. RT? Yes, she did. Oh, that's fascinating. It is fascinating. So as soon as you said his name, the the black bourgeoisie was like, oh, we got something for her. That's how I felt about it. Because he only came on the hill once with Sagar and um and and, and Crystal oh, during the 2020 campaign. Right after he came back from Africa. I'm so I'm I'm surprised. 
Wait, wait, wait. Yes. So Look her up. A positive relationship with RT. Roland was not on RT as far as I know, but some of his regulars on his show, the lady that was, uh, I can't remember her name, but she's a lawyer that hosted with Robbie on Monday. She had a show on RT and I think she had a show possibly with uh, Jason Ventura's son called Watch the Hawks. Correct me if I'm wrong, audience. It may be someone else. I pulled up the show, but I'm, I'm just looking. I'm sorry. I'm looking for her name right quick. I thought that was so interesting. And then the fact that she's pushing Pete Buttigieg, and I'm like, even TYT called out Pete Buttigieg's racism. You're pushing him? Really? And you're Miss Pro-Black? Yeah, you should watch. It was interesting. I mean, some things she said right, but then other stuff I was like, yep. And this is why we, as those who call ourselves leftists, cannot leave, black leftists cannot leave the talk of racism just blank and and an empty vacuum because just like with the left abandoning the anti-war front the right wingers come in the black uh neoliberals whether they're right or left come in and just screw up the whole conversation is she is she neoliberal if if the rt thing is throwing me i'm sorry i'm just a little her politics may have moved and changed after the ukraine war and they canceled rt Because it's, it's, it's a whole lockdown. I mean, you can't even really talk about John Conyers' bill that's not being implemented. I mean, the fact that the fact that Ron Paul had the decency to say, hey, we just went through this with Afghanistan with drug lords and the raping of little boys and girls and women. And, you know, let's make sure this money is going to the right place, which would have helped make sure that John Conyers' bill that passed was enforced and the UK and Canada also passed their own versions to make sure that the money only went to Ukraine and not to the Ukrainian Nazis. But we don't want to talk about that. Kamisha Cross, that's her name, yes. She was on she had a show. Yep. Oh they did a segment on Pete Buttigieg. Yes, and she supports him. Even after everything that came out about him and black folks. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's just listen to a little section of this. Is this working? Okay. I got it. Wait a minute. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Awesome show for you today, and there's a lot of. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just turn it at 1.5 speed, just for a second. My co-host today, Amisha Cross. Amisha, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Roddy. Yeah, it's great to have you. So Amisha's feeling into the Okay, okay, that's a little too fast. That's too fast. I apologize. I'll do 1.25. So first on deck, we have a midterms update. Herschel Walker has confirmed that he. I'm just gonna skip ahead past Herschel Walker. Yeah, please. Please. Than he did in the debate where he was actually, you know, supposed to be ready to have this conversation with Herschel Walker. Um, the interesting part was, even though he was debating a libertarian candidate, he spent so much time. Keep moving. People who are trending in a in a voting for Herschel Walker direction, get them to stay home. Because they can't. Okay, wait a minute. Where's the part about the? They're a Democrat, and it's the personality matters a little bit, but it might not matter enough in this race if it's just people want a check on Joe. Yeah, that every election is consequential. We say this every election cycle. This is the election of your lifetime. This is going to be the one. I never believe everything. I never believe that. Well, we say it no matter who's running all the time, so it kind of loses its steam. I always say that. Well, in other election news, the Hill's Hannah Trudeau reports that Democrats behind the scenes are already making contingency plans for 2024 in case President Biden decides not to seek a. Here we go. I've been pretty insistent that he would, but we'll find out. At the front of the 
the pack is actually Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, according to CNN. The former mayor has become the most requested surrogate on the campaign trail for Democratic candidates this midterm season. And this was such a saucy little tweet they had. Did you? Did you <laughs> it was, was it exactly you saucy. I say shade. I mean, <laughs> they acted like this man just came out yesterday, walked out of the woods, and all of a sudden started getting attention. It's really frustrating. Um, and a full disclosure, I am a huge supporter of and a fan of Pete Buttigieg, all right. a fellow Midwesterner. Um, I am, I am impressed not, by but... a lot of the work that he has done and the way he mm -hmm. took being a small town mayor, because I do think that in nationalized politics, people disregard small towns because he wasn't mayor of Chicago or San Francisco or New York. Um, he was a small town mayor. Before you. So this is from CNN. Pete Buttigieg, whose only political experience before his failed presidential bid was serving as mayor of South Bend, Indiana, has become the most requested story. I mean, it's just very, I don't know why they would, it was very aggressively anti-Pete. I mean, I think a lot of media commentary is is maybe too favorable to uh, to Buttigieg. He's, I think he's better liked by um, the mainstream media or in some progressive media, not left media, uh, more so than other Democratic candidates. <laughs> it's just a weird call it, out. It was, I mean, it now was he's harsh. the transportation secretary, and <laughs> exactly. I, I'm, not, I'm not overly impressed with what he's done as transportation secretary, but he's not just a failed presidential <laughs> candidate and mayor anymore. It, it, it's it's frustrating. Funny. I mean, I would say the same thing if they had said about Kamala, who is currently vice president. The frustrating part here I is mean, that we did as shifty as it had been, yeah. we would have found out immediately after yeah. he won instead of weeks later. I wonder, I wonder which if, is huge. if we deny the results of the Iowa caucus, does that trigger some misinformation policy? That was good by Robbie. So he, he did that. Um, he's a prolific fundraiser, probably one of the strongest fundraisers the, the modern Democratic Party has. Wine cave. Someone who can speak to various audiences. Wine cave. We've seen him in, you know, in, in the conservative, in the, the conservative banals of, um, of cable news, and he's been able to hold his own in a way that other Democrats, including the President of the United States, has not been highly effective in doing, or, or his spokespeople. So I feel as though you're, you have someone who has proven their weight in gold when it comes to being a strong uh, communicator for the Democratic mm -hmm. Party. Heck, he needs to help design some strategy for the DNC because Lord knows they need as much communication help as possible. Mm -hmm. but okay, so I verify that you were not lying to me, Fractal. You were not and, misrepresenting. And, and if you would have kept going, you would have heard, I, she says she blames the new management at CNN as to why Pete got that kind of shade. She says that towards the end of her comments. She was really, she was really for him. So I say, I just wanted to know what you thought of that. Um, cause this goes into mascotting, which is mascotism, which is the whole, my whole spiel before I go. Well, look, I obviously disagree with her about, um, people to judge. Uh, Absolutely. but I generally speaking am not wild about, I don't like, I I prefer not to make arguments about, especially with black people, the idea that their beliefs are not their own because they are keeping for white people or keeping right. for Republicans or stuff like that. So it's not that I don't have my private thoughts in my head about, you know, the Candace Owens of the world or whatever from time to time. But I think that those kinds of arguments that someone like the presumption that someone is arguing in bad faith are not always they're, they're just not that persuasive. So right. so you know the whole TYT Jimmy it's all you're paid by Katzenberg and you're paid by Assad and you're paid by the like okay I'm sure <laughs> some of that is true and that pe money definitely obviously has an influence on what people say and people are chasing clicks and all that kind of stuff is true but when we're discussing something like your opinion on force the vote or whatever I like no one is persuaded by the idea that, well, you took Katzenberg money. I just want to talk about it. And so often people use those kinds of um, arguments when they don't have something more substantive to say. Like they sometimes are true, but they're often used as like an easy way to just bring somebody down. And sometimes they're not true. And 
I, you know, like it's it's not improvable. I can't prove what someone's real opinions are versus whether they're doing it to curry favor with some other group. So, and it, and it has this way of like diminishing a person, especially when it's with black people. I gotta say, I just it makes me uncomfortable to presume that black people can't hold political political opinions just because they're different from what a majority of black people think and other groups are not beholden to those same kinds of standards and it just it frustrates me sometimes so like the the part of Kanye that's like black people don't have to be democrats like that resonates with me obviously and I wish that people would just argue about the parts that aren't true (laughs) you know the anti-semitic semitic bits for instance then then make these arguments about like how he's in the grips of this person or that person. Cause you can tell he's triggered by that. And that's part of why he's so like hell bent on being contrarian. Cause he feels like he should be allowed to like whoever he likes. Um, and it also, I don't think is persuasive to, to anyone. Does that make sense? It does. And if that's what, what was meant by mascotism in that context with Teslin, totally understand where you're coming from. Cause I agree with Teslin about what she means by some, there are certain instances you can't separate the meat from the bone. Like there are just certain instances where you're, that's just not helpful. And I also agree with you, like, like with the Jimmy Dore TYT aspect of it. I mean, there are times where it's just like, okay, you changed your stance on homeless people because the person who funds you in the state of California, in that city wants to like incarcerate homeless people. Like there's a direct one-to-one there. While at the same time, I understand and it's kind of interesting you say what you say, and this connects back to Dr. King too, what made him so effective and what makes you effective as well. But I think all of us can be guilty of doing this. Is um, The sermon that was preached at Reverend Barber's church this Sunday by a young brother, Dr. Threat, was about when Moses was at Meribah and he was supposed to speak to the rock instead of hit the rock. Because the first time he got water out of the rock, he hit it. Because he was supposed to, but out of frustration for the people blaming him and Aaron and threatening him, he hit the rock. And so the point of the sermon was: there's grace between a hard place and the rock, or the rock and a hard place. And if you focus on the main thing, and then of course for Christians, Christ speaking to your rock, the rock of your foundation and salvation and faith and provider needs, but also just in general in life, you don't let frustration get the betterment of you because there's grace even in those situations. And what you and others and ourselves try to do is use our words to speak to people rather than hit at people. However, um, and there's a time and a place to hit at things, yes. But um, So I, I agree with you essentially on that. My aspect of mascot, mascotism is I think that here they are accusing you and Katie of something when you're not funded by these people at all. But it is interesting that the same person that took out a progressive DA would, owns this company and it goes to what I think the gentleman said we need to kind of use our own apps and we got to start somewhere um even though they may be lawn projects like the lawn project army talks about with changing culture the sooner we start the sooner it gets done the later we start the later it gets done but with mascotism it just reminded me of how you and robbie had to give trump credit for saying hey this could cause world war three he's mascotting as anti-war because let us not forget it was under him that we started funding the nazis that made this mess in the first place and that is not okay that is not okay i i understand what i understand that tesla was trying to make a distinction between right i'm using the principle Um, i'm using the principle of what she's saying 
and, and I shouldn't say trying. She was making, like, like I said, I was patronizing. But Tesla was, was, I think, rightly drawing a distinction between folks like Ice Cube and Killer Mike. Right. Who are able to articulate their frustrations with the Democratic Party without um, ignoring the problems that exist in the Republican Party or kind of blindly pretending that it's a better a better alternative in all respects or being kind of like you know just just treating these people like they're it's like a team sport like if there's genuine insincerity in saying black people are disrespected because you have been consistent you've been you have integrity which is not just following this is what i learned as freshman i'm not saying all of that well okay because the implication is and this is like a hot well i thought that's what she was saying the implication of that is that Kanye West isn't sincere. I, right. I think Kanye West is sincere in his frustration with the Democratic Party, with the idea that he can't have political opinions that don't aren't like follow line and, and vote for Hillary Clinton. You know, I, I, I think that I think that he is sincere in all of that. So maybe it's a credibility issue then that he's not he doesn't have the credibility. He's too he's too I'm going to take the path of leaf resistance. Like he'll use it for himself, his own selfish means. Well, I, I, I don't, I don't Even if he does genuinely care, he just. I, I'm, not, I'm not prepared to say any of that. I don't know anything about okay. that. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I certainly don't see Kanye earning a lot or gaining a lot from any of this, to be honest. I think that all of it is very sincere. I think that he mm. hasn't, he's not the most thoughtful person. I mean, like, I think that he's misinformed. I think mm. that he is um, impulsive. Mm-hmm. And that he doesn't always listen to people because he perhaps is so used to being told, you know, he shouldn't do things and he shouldn't take risks. And taking risks has served him well in his career that he's basically shut down. I've talked exactly. about this phenomenon with a lot of counterculture people in the left space who I think sometimes start to go a little awry because they, you know, they've learned through their careers that they shouldn't listen to other people because other people told them not to take risks and they were right to right. take those risks. And at a certain point, we all need checks and balances. And when you don't trust anybody because everybody's been trying to block you your whole career, when that moment comes when you really needed someone to tell you the truth, there's no one left. And that, that's kind of where I feel like Kanye is exacerbated by mental illness. So I'm not interested. Mm. This is what I'm saying. I'm not interested in making claims about someone, what someone really thinks or whether they're really sincere or what's really in their heart and soul. One, because I can't know that. And two, I think there's something that's like really patronizing about pretending, like basically telling someone that their opinions aren't their own. Like I just, like there, there are some of these instances where someone, like you're right, like fully said one thing, the next day they got a pile of money and they're saying something else and it's as obvious as day and their, their heart obviously isn't in it. What comes to mind is when Stacey Abrams, she went to that, that camp, you know, Michael Bloomberg, has his mayor's camp. <laughs> yeah. These, like, the kind of yeah. politicians go get yeah. a million dollars for being in his camp. And then they come out and they all sing his praises. And I remember when she was asked about voting for him and also. Uh, On the view. Yeah. And there was this, there was a statement that she made after the Tara Reid uh, accusations first came out where she was kind of caught on TV, looking like a horse and uh, a horse and head or deer and headlights <laughs> and gave the most horrible unprincipled response. Yes, and she so did. I would say that obviously she doesn't believe that she just, the democratic party is telling her to say that. Like I feel comfortable saying that, but in most cases, I, I think that Kanye is wrong, but he believes what he's doing is right. And when I listen to some of his stories about like his dad, and I remember I put that clip out. Now I could believe that. I could believe that type of stuff. But 
I didn't mean to get into that much of a diatribe with Kanye. I just used that as an example of there is a lot of mascotism that's going on politically. And I think that article represents that just like I think Trump is mascotting as anti-war when he led us to this. And the only thing, the critique I had in the conversation you had with your buddy from The Guardian, um, and maybe this is a strategic choice you made, was the protesters when they brought up Nazis, that never got discussed. And it's like, so we're just all radically just like, maybe he doesn't believe in that. But it's just like, if there is a moral failing for any politician, especially one that's on the left that, yes, you ought to expect more of because we put them there, then yeah, like that, that needs to be discussed, whether, whether it's here on this call in or anything, because it's just, it's just unacceptable. And my last thing is, I just kind of feel like I'm tired of this thing of, well, they're the best we got. Then that's on us. If they're the best we got, the, 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 the gracious thing to say is, I thank you, like any other politician, for the good you have done. Nothing less, nothing more. And move on. Because if we just keep saying that's the best we've got, then that's kind of what happened with the last generation, especially with the Black Caucus. That was the best they could get right after Dr. King being assassinated. But what has that gotten us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? I, I, I agree. The best we got, the idea that we shouldn't criticize these people for that reason, it... it holds holds no water with me so completely none whatsoever so um but yeah please read that note um there there is something definitely to talk there i i uh i i brought that up because i really believe the left in america has never really recovered since the assassination of dr king i don't think we really ever truly ever recovered mm. okay I'll what I yeah. appreciate you calling in, Fractal. It's been a good yeah, Thank you. Thank you all for bearing with me. I hope I hope uh, you learned something from that. <laughs> that was I just found that interesting. When she said his name, she popped up. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I really appreciate your anecdote about the sermon as well. Thank you, Fractal. Keep the faith. All right. Keep the faith. All right, Clifford, I haven't spoken to you in a while. How have you been? Uh, I've been all right. How, right. how have you been? Ooh, holy echo, Batman. Oh, sorry. Is it gone? <laughs> no worries. That's better. What's yeah, on your that's mind better. Tonight? I heard that too. That kind of scared me. Um, <laughs> uh, I, if I could just respond to the last caller just a little bit, the uh, the interesting point, like the best we have. Um, I definitely, I feel like that the people in office now might be the best we could possibly have, which is a really good indictment of why we shouldn't, expend any energy focusing on that arena and why the 1% wants to funnel so much media attention towards elections and stuff like that. Like I honestly, I look at the credentials of someone like Corey Bush and I, I can't say I could find any better, like someone who's Mm -hmm. been through my dad was homeless. Like I, Mm -hmm. I don't imagine going through something like that would you know, that would give you a kind of honesty that I think would be very difficult to fake. And I think those kind of immediate um, pressures that are on people where they're desperate, you know, I think that um, that is what we need from leaders. I think it's the fact that those people are then uh, kind of taken up by this system and then maybe given a little more you know, like a different uh, economic circumstance. So their class is changed and then they're, they're having to focus on different optics and all this stuff. And what that does is that totally diminishes the power they had to actually affect change. And I think that's why the leaders that 
work outside that that aren't interested in being bought aren't allowed into office in the first place or are then killed if there's a chance for them to do so. Um, but that kind of, I'm sorry to be a bummer in that regard, but like, I, I do think that it like any ounce of energy that we waste on electoralism is truly that is a, is a waste. Um, but because the 1% just have so much of a stranglehold on it, but I, I wanted to ask you, um, about, because of, you know, there's like this article you brought up at the very beginning, I think is quite interesting in that every means of communication we have, like the only reason I have a chance to even like bring my concerns to you is because of an app, I guess, that's funded by a billionaire. Every part of our infrastructure is probably controlled by the 1%. Mm -hmm. And so while we have someone like you, who's a class trader, like in a position of you know, someone who can disperse a lot of information. I was just kind of brainstorming. Um, essentially, what's going on right now is we have a class war that's being fought one directionally, meaning like the, you know, I'm sure you've lost people and I've lost people and everyone's losing people because of, uh, you know, all these things that could be so easily prevented, you know, like healthcare and housing and all these things. But so that's the 1% essentially, you know, guaranteeing that they're, uh, you know, class competitors and the people who would challenge their power are so desperate that we can't really, you know, marshal any effective resistance. So, but we're not really affecting the same retaliatory stance, you know. So um, I was thinking um, with something like rising or, or bad faith, maybe not bad faith, but like the radars you have on rising, having like kind of profiles of um of oligarchs like american oligarchs you know mm -hmm. um and how much i feel like that w is the kind of narrative that we really need that is incredibly difficult to co-opt in the sense that black lives matter unfortunately was co-opted like how difficult would it be for an amazon store to have the banner that said like eat jeff bezos or something like that you know that would be impossible you know that's a narrative that like you know um like anti one percent kind of uh diatribes i think would be impossible for the one percent to then in the corporately owned media to um to co-opt so it could be but i think it would be something that right and left this hatred of big corporations and the need to go back to you know antitrust laws and all these things there's an appetite for that on both sides of the aisle I feel like. Yeah, I did a radar. Um, was that the day before yesterday? I honestly can't even remember. Or was it last week? Uh, about um, inflation. That had to have been. That had to have been Wednesday, right? Time is so weird. Anyway, I did a radar recently. Um, that was about how. Basically, the media doesn't cover the price gouging as a driver of inflation and uh, how there's been all these corporate profits and how they try to divide us up by talking about all this other shit. But that's what's really going on here. And now all of these like uh, elites from the Democratic Party, like Larry Summers, are arguing the only thing to do is to use the only tool we have is the Fed and raising interest rates. And they are intentionally trying to cause mass unemployment uh, and a recession 
which they're going to weather just fine, but it's going to crush every working person. Yeah. And the responses in the comments were so overwhelmingly popular. Anytime I do the 1% is trying to divide us up, even with Rising's conservative audience, the responses are so, so popular. The videos might not do especially well. People don't click on it the same way they'll click on an epi- a, 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 a clip about how AOC is terrible and all that. But what the people who do listen to it find that it really resonates with them. So I think that you're right about that. You know, I did one, but I did I did one some months back when we were really in the thick of the convo about Elon Musk buying Twitter. That was like, that was about how Elon Musk has this history of treating his employees at the Tesla plants poorly, of trying to get people to take down tweets and to go after small accounts who've said things on social media that he doesn't like, and that there's some hypocrisy and some frankly naivete in thinking that if he owns Twitter, magically it's going to be this bastion of freedom. He's just going to use it to serve his ends, just like everybody uses all their power to serve their own ends. And the response to that was less positive. It was a lot of people who like just refused to get the point, who thought I just hated freedom or whatever, <laughs> um, and didn't understand that I was saying, like, I actually want what you want. I'm just asking why you think Elon Musk is going to be the one to deliver it. So I do think, you know, generally speaking, I agree with you, but there is a bit of a cult of personality around some of these people. And I don't know what to do about that. I I agree with you. And I and I um I saw a recent video by this guy. I had never heard of him, but my friends had his name's Adam Conover. And I guess he had some series, mm-hmm. um, but he did this video. There's no such thing as a good billionaire. And it was about the Patagonia billionaire and how much hate, I guess, he got for a tweet, uh, the, how much this guy Adam got for a tweet because he criticized this uh, billionaire who apparently gave away all of Patagonia's earnings to fight climate change. But really, it was just uh, donating 98% of his stocks to a fund that he controls mm. and then retaining the 2% controlling share. So mm. like, uh, so it was just this stupid tax evasion thing. And it was all manipulative and all so like highlighting things like that when people are bamboozled kind of by that sort of uh, diet, like that sort of narrative. And then they they're fanboys for someone who's totally screwing them over and lying to them and can control every media organism or even like the history books are being rewritten by the incredibly wealthy to paint them in a different light. You know what I mean? Like like what people learn about Andrew Carnegie and stuff like that, as opposed to what he actually did, you know? Um, So just that kind of exploitation. Um, I think, you know, taking that tack, I think um, uh, also like, I feel like you being in the position you are, there's like, if maybe one day every week you were just like, I'm going to take up because I know a lot of it, you have to respond to the narrative that's going on, but like maybe one radar a week, you could be like, I'm going to like try to create my own narrative around this one thing. Like for example, this uh, instance came up. I know you had brought up the police precinct that people like popular opinion was that it was a good thing that it was like burned to the ground, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, something similar happened, I think in Europe and it was uh, this, uh, headquarters for the most uh, profitable oil company was uh, basically all the windows were destroyed. Um, All the windows were smashed in by climate activists and it didn't get any coverage because Mm. uh, my estimation would be that 
it didn't get any coverage because most people would be like, oh, so they're making a huge profit off destroying the planet. And then these people thought, yeah, let's take the fight to them and like break their windows. Like that's a mm. tiny compensation because I think most people would be like, oh, you didn't inconvenience people in the street. You didn't. It's hard to frame a narrative like, oh, you hate oil billionaires who are stealing your future and stopping you from having kids, mm -hmm. essentially, you know, like that would be a hard story to spin. And as a result, it was not covered. You know what I mean? So I mm -hmm. feel like there are certain things that just a little amplification uh, could go a long way, you know? Um, yeah, I, I think yeah. that that's, I think that that's true. Absolutely. Okay. Um, thank you for taking my call. I appreciate it. Thank you for calling in Clifford. It's good to hear from you. All right. right. Keep the faith. Uh, Sylvester. How you doing my friend? Sylvester, I reached out to your friend who you told me to call on the last call in and she put me in touch with the guy who broke the story about all of the LA city council, Michigas. And I said, okay, you and him come on the show. And she demurred and insists that he's the one that I should talk to and that she shouldn't get in the mix. So I just want you to know that I tried. You're still on mute, Sylvester, FYI. Are you having buggy issues? Do you know that you're on mute? Are you here, Sylvester? Did you step away to, you don't know, emulsify some soup or take the dog out? Or fold the clothes in the dryer. I'm just naming things that I'm supposed to do. I just bought a blender. I've been looking at these recipes. I've been like, Brianna, you need to start cooking. Like, this is not good for the bank account or the waistline. You need to stop eating out so much. I know you've been busy, but it's time to get this under control. You're heading into these cold winter months. You can't be doing this. So all these recipes I'm always looking at require me to blend something chop something, make a salad dressing. I got to put it in a blender and I've been not wanting to have a blender because, you know, with my New York roots, I'm used to having zero inches of counter space. And now that I have like my little, like little three feet of counter space going, it feels like a King's ransom, but I don't want to clutter it up with stuff. But I finally made a commitment and bought this blender that Instagram has been trying to get me to buy for over a year now because it looks like an Apple product. And so, yes, as I'm just feeling this, the quiet <laughs> with my prattle, trying to see if Seth Sylvester can unmute himself and thinking about all the chores that I have ahead of me, I'm thinking about making a soup, making some soups and my new blender when it arrives. Sylvester, I don't know what's going on, my friend. I'm going to have to kick you to the back of the line because everybody is tired of hearing me go through my chore list, but I will bring you back up from the fathoms. If you get back in the queue and I'm going to move on to our friend, Jonathan, how are you doing this evening? Can we come back to me? Yeah, absolutely. I will go to Andy. How are you doing, Andy? Andy? You're unmuted, but I can't hear you for some reason. This is chaos. Oh, my Lord. They're trying to censor us. <laughs> They're trying to set us shit down. David Sachs heard us talking shit. Now the hammer has been dropped. <laughs> Sowing, reaping, etc., etc. <laughs> All right. 
Andy, I don't know what's going on. Everybody get back in the queue, and I'm going to do a cleanup of the caboose in a little bit because I don't know what's going on here. Bert, what's on your mind? Save, save us, Bert. Unmute. In the street. Unmute. Okay, Bert, I can hear you. All right. Oh, thank thank you so much. Uh, good evening. And good evening. I wanted to talk about something from the last episode about Ukraine, AOC, is that we have a flood of weapons that invariably are going to end up into the hands of neo-Nazis who have a history of training our own right-wing um, white supremacists in this country. And one of the things that's worrisome is the, the blowback from what this is. And to have somebody like AOC, um, all the squad members, particularly uh, Jamal Bowman, uh, Ilan Omar, all these so-called progressives who are voting to send all these billions of dollars, when those same weapons are going to end up back here being used, you know, in plots against possibly them. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering, like, mm-hmm. it, it, and that seems to be something that I don't hear much about in the media. It's like really hush-hush. Like, it, there was four years ago or so, there was these reports, and now just nothing regarding this. And nobody seems to be worried about it. But I think it's a real uh, threat and kind of a hypocrisy that we're talking about. All these horrible right-wing white supremacists in the U.S., yet we're spending billions of dollars funding them over there just so these weapons can come back here to be used against people, perhaps like you or me. Yeah, I mean, so I think for the same reason that there's, you know, the, the the mainstream, you know, response to the war is what it is. We've talked about it a lot. And that's the reason we don't have this conversation, because it obviously complicates the narrative that it's a very good thing to just kind of fund this at, quote, whatever cost necessary um, without thinking about consequences if you start to think about the consequences. And that's why the CBS story about how you know, 30% of the arms or whatever were, were untraceable and nobody knew where they were going. It's why, you know, Max Blumenthal confronted uh, Rokana. Here, I was trying to find it while you were talking, and I think I just found it. This is from my Rokana interview from March where I asked him about his response to Max Blumenthal when Blumenthal confronted him outside of Congress and asked him why, to your point, you know, the New York Times used to describe the Azov Battalion as Nazis, and now they don't. Why... There was, you know, a bill to prevent aid going to Azov, and now nobody mentions that how other countries have had prohibitions about money getting to Nazis and why we won't just do the same and acknowledge that that's a risk right now. I think I think this is the portion. This video out. Prices are already going up massively because of the sanctions. Uh, inflation's going up, and that's all to fight Russia. I mean, that's the message Biden and his people are sending. Don't you think, I mean, do, do, do you think Americans, what, 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 what skin in the game do Americans have for Ukraine? Americans. Oh, wait, maybe that's not the bit. Wait a minute. The skin in the game to stand up for freedom. A neocon spouting American exceptionalist bromides about freedom not being 
uh, free. I stand by it. I said that uh, Ukraine is standing up oh, for right. its territorial okay. sovereignty. Maybe I, maybe I can't find it, but you get the. No, difference. we're the land of the free, right? Yeah. So I like, with, I, with I, more I, prisoners I, I, than I, any I, other nation on earth, but we're the land of the free. Yeah, I, I agree that those are you know legitimate concerns. But I think I mean I don't. I'm, is it really a question? Like you, you know why, you know why that is. I'll let you go on one yeah. last note. I have an idea for uh, anybody who has an entrepreneurial mind to reconfigure the game of chess. You know how you're supposed to protect the king. I want to reconfigure mm-hmm. it so all the pawns collaborate to overthrow the kings and queens. And if anybody can come up with a, like a, a workable idea for how to do that, it would, it would be an interesting um, entrepreneurial pursuit. I love it. Have a good night. I'm extremely into it. I, I chess heads, you you don't you nerds get on the case. <laughs> Thanks for calling in, Bert. All right, Daniel Johnson. Daniel Johnson, are you a first-time caller? Can you press the unmute button at the bottom so we can hear your beautiful voice? It looks like a an egg in a cup, but it's a microphone, I guess, like a stylized m- modern suggestion of a mic. Makes me think of a corn cob personally. But definite mic vibes. Are you with us, Daniel? Are you having? Are you struggling to unmute? Have you just completely given up on this game, Daniel? If you go to the caboose with your other technically deficient friends, <laughs> no, I'm sure it's not your fault. I will bring you back up from the rear. But I'm going to move on to Adrian. Adrian. How have you been, my friend? Okay, there we go. Adrian, yes, I am here. And let me say this. (laughs) I didn't know somebody had said this phrase to me. It was like, I was talking with some friends who are females, and they were like, um, guys be hitting them up, and they'll be like, in the morning, instead of just saying good morning, they'll be like, grand rising queen. So I was like, oh, I've never heard of that. Like, whatever. But... (laughs) Somebody else had said it to me, and Wait, I had been. Sorry, you were. It was a little bit quiet. What What did they say? Mm-hmm. They said good morning. They say like guys, if they're talking to girls or whatever, or I don't know. But then this is also happening in the black community, so everybody might not be privy to this, y'all. So just you know, hands up. But they'll say stuff like "Grand Rising Queen, Rise of Your Black Excellence" or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then they'll still be the same guys who will just not text you back, have two girlfriends at the same mm-hmm. time, and be still trying to engage you. So somebody has said that this is happening. And I was like, oh, I've never heard that phrase before. So I had texted one of my, like, in a group chat um, with two other friends. I said, hey, queens, <laughs> just, to, mm-hmm. just to say it. And um, the friend said, grand rising king. And I literally bust out laughing. So all of that, just to say, I have been walking around to everybody. Anybody I know, if I'm in a decent mood, I'll be like, Grand Rising Queen, Rising Your Black Excellence. Now, everybody's just like overworked and pissed off, and I just come in with a smile on my face. <laughs> Grand Rising Queen, Rising Your Black Excellence. You know, what are we going to do without that one person overly hyping up a situation? You know what I'm saying? What would I... we do without them? 
I am a hundred percent here for it. Grand rising to you, King. Thank, <laughs> Thank you for you. calling in as always. Let us know what's on your mind. Okay, so maybe everybody has been quiet because they're cooking like I am, but I just politely turn that stuff off and we're gonna hope this food is still. You know, we're gonna hope this food is still food in, in about 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever how long this goes. A couple different things. One, I ever since remember we watched that clip on here like a couple weeks ago of Queen Apotheosis. <laughs> Batia talking about like working class and all of this stuff and we just kind of sat around and watched it and somebody she used the word apotheosis in it and honestly like somebody had said I've never heard any working class person use the word apotheosis ever in my life but she's just trying to grandstand and act like you know you're the person who's the savior for working class folks ever since then whenever I see her I just have to call her Miss Apotheosis so there's nothing you guys like are too, super you guys are <laughs> there's too nothing, much Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love calling in. Be- I love this show because we get policy, politics, we get culture, we get random stuff that nobody really knows what to do with. And you're like, mm-hmm. 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 sure. Thanks. Thanks for calling in. I hear you. I know we're on the same page. And then we also get um, we get a little bit of stirring the pot and the messy. And it's just, you know what? We'll take we'll take what we get. So every time I see her, I'm just like Miss Apotheosis. But I do hope that she does come back on your show. I don't know what that is like. What, what do you guys want to talk about? I, I thought I was thinking about Batia a lot actually this week um, with all of the uh, Kanye stuff. I, I do. I really did appreciate when she came on with Thomas Chatterton Williams to talk about the Whoopi Goldberg's little mm-hmm. uh, dalliance with. Um, I don't, I don't know if you want to call that one anti-Semitism or just kind of a little, a little, little ignorance. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I thought it was a good episode, and I really appreciate her willingness to get into it. Um, yeah, honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and go. No, just, just that I thought that, that this might be a topic that she would want to get in again. Like, I feel like her and Thomas Chatterton are like my black Jewish relations panel. <laughs> don't forget it. Is, is Katie also are they Jewish is that why you say that yeah or, Katie's Jewish mm-hmm. yeah yeah so all, all of them but yeah I think I would actually like to see her come back because watching her on Rising has been an interesting experience when I saw her on your show in the beginning and even when she used to do like the segments I was like yes critiques of the mainstream media they're not really providing a representative view of what's going on in the real world and I was all in for that and also being able to track it back over the course of time but over the course of the past like when she's been hosting on rising it's just been like a interesting to hear her commentary because i'm she's using like she's focusing on working class politics but it's always like it's like you would think a b and then the next letter would be c but it's just been a b and then it'll be like z and it's like these random things where it's like oh, you know, the working class needs support and policies that'll help them. And the left is the one who's holding them back by focusing in on woke politics and nonsense. And I'm just like, but the left is the only one who has a substantive plan to address healthcare needs for everybody, student loan uh, needs for everybody, higher education policy for everybody. Everybody else is just hollering and complaining. So, like, I'd like to see her back on the show just kind of teasing out, like, okay, what's your beef with some of these progressive policies? Um, really, I guess, teasing all that stuff out because I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure what to make of a lot of her comments.
commentary on rising and then given that the show is supposed to be like left perspective right perspective it it i is not been giving me the left perspective that i've been looking for and i don't think that she's been like doing an exceptional job of like providing pushback to some of the things that you know robbie says although I would give her credit. They talked about like a teacher strike and you mm-hmm. know I work in education. Mm-hmm. There was, I want to say it was like maybe three people on that panel, but like a couple weeks ago, they were, Robin was just like, the teachers union, they have so much money and they're just taking over the world and all of this nonsense. I'm like, teachers are working for pennies on the dollars and they're mm-hmm. also like engaging, like they're not engaging, but constantly affected by wage theft. Like most teachers work all day Sundays, go home at like 5.30, the contractual day ends at 3.30. Mm-hmm. And he's acting like we've got all this pool and power in the world. Mm-hmm. But I digress. But she provided like a substantive pushback that I was like, okay, like I appreciate this. They were asking for higher uh, wages and he was like, they just want to make so much more money. And it's just like, dude, most teachers, like a lot of teachers I know also, if they don't have a partner that's bringing in double income, they're working mm-hmm. a second job. I'm mm. I, like, I, my friends laugh at me, but like, honestly, W2s just come to my house. Like, at this point, I was working for half the country, it felt like, and my everybody just send Adrian a W2 because he has mm. all these different jobs to supplement the income and at least to be able to plan ahead. And mm. I was just joking about this with one of my teacher friends, actually. I was saying, like, everybody I know, everybody I know, so. My, my, my friends comes from a wealthy family mm-hmm. and I was like, that's why you do this. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's why you've made this choice. I mean, like kudos to you, but like you would not have made this choice if you didn't know you can still have nice things. Moreover, I, a lot of my friends, you know, me and how I'd be out here dating all these public interest lawyers. The, the ones that I was dating often weren't themselves. They didn't come from money and they obviously didn't have a rich partner because we were not married um, and they were messing around with me at various stages in my career, but I, their friends, like all the, the public interest community that I used to hang out with a lot, like all of their public defender friends and stuff, I was like consistently made aware of the fact that a lot of them came from like good situations or had wealthy spouses. And when we would be moving in the same circles and they were able to like afford things that I could afford at the time that I was a lawyer, I'd be looking at them on the side of my eye. And inevitably, inevitably, there was some kind of supplemental situation going on for them to be able to make it in New York City and to be in like kind of comparable living situations and the like. So we know it's bad. I heard Stacey Abrams saying she was like, I want the minimum salary for a teacher. Part of her platform is to make the minimum salary of a teacher in Georgia to be $50,000. And I was like, oof. That's where we're setting the floor. The floor. Bernie's plan, you know, was to make it $60,000. $60,000. You know, you, we on the same page with that one. But we just saying that just because we got to say it. But it's just like, I know teachers who are making, there was a woman who I didn't work with her. She was in the district and she worked at another school. And she was pregnant and she had like, let's say she was pregnant in August and the, the the baby was, let's say, due in November. She had just left in the previous school year, left the school from Florida to come work in Georgia. And she said she got a $15,000 raise. When we started or- Sorry about that. I was, <laughs> I was like, Who Sorry, autoplay. 
I don't play. Um, but she had got a $15,000 raise. I said, how much were you making as a teacher with the same credentials? She was like $34,000. In she was Florida? Like, in Florida. She was like, I had to get up out of there. I said, okay. you did. They think, okay, these conservatives, these conservatives think any teacher making $34,000 has the time or energy to be putting litter boxes in bathrooms. Yeah. They got, they, it'd be like, I wish I want to, if you could have, no, no, because I'm busy right now. But one day you should have me on that show on Rising. That way, like, I'm somebody who works in education. Mm-hmm. I can speak to really what's going on in the world, but it is just wild to me, like, the things that they say. I remember when Liz Wolf was on there talking about something, and she just casually said, so what? You have to stay an extra 15 minutes to log or 30 minutes to close out some of the activities of your day. Now, I get it. Sometimes if your contractual hours are, let's say, from 8 to 3, you get there at about 7.45, you leave at, you should be able to leave at about like 3.15 at the latest. That is not the case for many teachers. Many teachers, like regardless of what school you're working at, are staying like two hours or they leave mm-hmm. and they just go home and work. And it is just wild to me that it's just like, and what the other thing about teaching is like, because you talk about like the weaponization of identity politics. One of the things I want to get into about his writing is like the weaponization of passion and love for children and, and your craft and teaching, et cetera, mm-hmm. being used against them. You never can really pull the trigger because what well, are you going to say as a teacher that you don't want to get good quality education for your, your own students? Most teachers would do like a lot for their end, always do a lot. Not only are you working extra hours, but you're also like buying supplies, buying resources. Some schools reimburse you, some schools don't. Some schools are like, you don't get any materials. I remember like my first teaching job, I had bought like all of the school supplies that I needed to just buy for the class. Like for multiple subjects, all the folders that we need for math, the compositions that we need for social studies, like all the supplies that we needed, I just went ahead and had to buy it to ensure that it was all the same thing so that we could have like a nice system in in our class to keep the, the session going, but it just, it really has infuriated me and it just drives me insane that he would use his time on the air, Robbie, to like, and, and many conservatives, to portray teachers as like making big bucks and, and like just out of control and need to be run amok, acting as if we are the billionaires secretly pulling the strings behind Joe Biden and, and all of that stuff. It's just like, come on now. Like, that's just not the case at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm so I'm sorry. I'm still stuck. I'm still stuck on this, you know, cat litter box story. You know about the cat litter box story, right? Mm-mm, say more. So the conservatives, Fox News, all of them have been running the story for like a week about how you no, know, it happened because Joe Rogan said it first. Joe Rogan, one of his guests told him that he knew someone who knew someone who taught at a school where a kid identified as a cat. So the, they put a litter box in the bathroom. And obviously this is supposed to demonstrate how the woke folks have gone so far and identity is such a joke because trans people have made it such a joke, but now we're supposed to respect people that identify as cats. So this was a whole media cycle that went on for like a week. And obviously it was not true. And anybody who heard it should have immediately been like, that's obviously the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Yeah. It's obviously not true. But on top of that, who... Do you think paid for this litter box? I want to know. <laughs> but teachers stretched so thin. Who they think reached into their own pocketbook, 
went down to PetSmart, bought a kitty litter box, and apparently some of those gravel refills. I don't know how cats work, really. I'm a dog person. I can't. I Instead can't. about maintaining this thing, said to the janitor, here's some... <laughs> Here's hey, I want gravel to keep in the janitor's closet. This word. Like, I'm going to be busy with the instructions, but I actually bought this. So let me just educate you up. Let me coach you. Let me do a little mini lesson on how you change this when a, a human being poops in this. Man, when I tell you, what are they talking about? Goodness gracious. Now, let me say this. Being a teacher and having, like, I've worked with kids in a number of different capacities. Kids are interesting. Kids are funny. Kids do some stuff, but most teachers, if a child, like, I'm I'm going to be honest, I, dot, 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 or one of my colleagues over the course of my entire career, but I, have worked with a student who was, like, bouncing around and was acting like they were a bunny. Now, <laughs> my role as a teacher was to tell that child, have a seat. I did not walk <laughs> over there and say, you know what? I've been noticing you've been bouncing around a lot like you were a bunny. Tell me more about that. Well, Mr. Duff, you didn't feed him the pellets? <laughs> no. <mm-mm. laughs> I didn't get a chance to. Well, Mr. Teacher, I, my identity now is a bunny. Okay, little Gina. Guess what? We'll create a whole new bathroom for you just for bunny. <laughs> that is not happening. We got stuff to do. We got tests to give, and that's a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. We got mm-hmm. all this stuff to do. When that child was bouncing around like a bunny, I saw it the first time, and I was just like, okay. I, I think I saw that, but I'm in the middle of a lesson, so I just said, have a seat, and I kept the lesson going. When I saw that child do that like five more times, I got up and I said, um, I don't know. I had to lower my voice, and I didn't want to put them on blast, but I was like, What's, what are you doing with this bouncy thing? And she was just like, I'm a bunny now. I said, no, you're not. Go sit down. Go do your work. That's how it works. But they yeah. will have you believe in, like, and I love when Olay be talking about crime because she'll be like, where are y'all, where are y'all in America? They will have you believe in that you live in Gotham City. Gotham City. <laughs> like, the crime is out of control. And, and it's, crime is a serious thing. I've seen in my community and hear things in my community that are disturbing to me. But to pretend like it's Gotham and, like, the Joker is around the corner and Batman is, like, the bad signal is just not going up anymore <laughs> is completely and absolutely ludicrous. Now, I've talked a lot about teaching. That was really not what I wanted to get to. I want to talk about, uh, let me do two things, okay? Because we've, we've been talking for a while, but mm-hmm. let me see if we can sneak in two things. One, so this concept, I feel like I got this from the Gravel Institute. I'm going to have to go back. But really talking with people about, like, I was engaged in a conversation within the past couple of months where somebody was like, do you really, like, it was everything I brought up as far as, like, a Bernie Sanders-style platform, an air quote progressive platform at this point, whatever, just the policies that will work for people. Anytime I brought up Medicare for all, $15 minimum wage, the government doing something, the response was, do you really think the government will actually do something? Do you really mm-hmm. think that? Mm-hmm. And to your point earlier when you said, like, I really, it, it sounded like you were saying something to the effect of, I hesitate to tell people that what they believe is not what they actually believe. Mm-hmm. Like, I hesitate, you're, you know, controlled by, et cetera. Mm-hmm. When I hear my, 
my colleagues or folks that I know saying like, do you really believe the government can do X, Y, Z and they're portraying themselves as being the, the smartest person in the, in the room or smarter than I am? And I'm just like, yes. I, I often think about that clip where basically it was like, that clip of Ronald Reagan where he's like, you know, the most dangerous words in society is I'm from the government and I'm here to help and all that stuff. And the legacy mm-hmm. that has on people who are like young, like my age who really believe that the government can't do anything. And I've been thinking about like, would it be helpful in conversation to show this clip of this Republican saying this um, and really tracking like this was intentionally done? There was an intentional campaign and movement in this country to engage in disinvestments in the public to ensure that people's confidence in the government would be weakened over the course of years. And they've been very, very, very successful at it. And it appears to be that you may have succumbed to some of that messaging, but let's look at what it looks like. I've been trying to figure out like how best do you engage those types of conversations because I want to get my point across, but I don't want to be like, I don't want to be a, a liberal about it. If I'm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so... Short answer is yes. I think about things. I think I've said this before that I always wish that Democrats had, you know, they they sold their accomplishments more. There were like a day of, you know, mm-hmm. acknowledging public works in the swimming pool in your neighborhood. Oh, it was built, it, you know, as part of a post-war development program. You know, people should know that we should have like a holiday to celebrate all of the wonderful public infrastructure that we have that is now like 80 years old because we haven't built anything since then, but it was Mm -hmm. great. Like I remember at one point in my, there was a map that showed you all of the uh, new deal projects in your neighborhood. And I did Mm -hmm. it. I used it in New York and I discovered a pool that I didn't even know was there. And I discovered all of this beautiful architecture and infrastructure that was there for me to use as a, as a, as a community member. And it made me feel really like, I don't know, close to my neighbors and like a part of something bigger than myself. And it was wonderful, but we're not told about that stuff. You know, Democrats don't celebrate their own accomplishments. And then also the, the, here's the important part. They also just don't do anything anymore. Mm-hmm. So I think that the messaging and all that is important, but I also think it's important. And this is where I think the people who, who emphasize mutual aid are right. It's important just to prove it by doing stuff for people and mm-hmm. demonstrating that you can uh, have a purpose. Because just saying, you know, Reagan, basically, you know, conservatives have been rigging the government so that it's not helpful. It doesn't necessarily inspire confidence that we can turn it around if we all just like mm-hmm. start voting for Democrats or what have you. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I agree with you. I just think that it, it has to be both. And I think of the example of the Bernie campaign doing so well in Nevada in part because it got there early and just started like make, having cookouts and soccer games and mm-hmm. stuff. In people's communities and so that when election time got came around it was like no this isn't just someone knocking on my door it's somebody who's been here at my kids soccer game at this barbecue for a year helping me make yeah. my life better mm-hmm. yeah i'm concerned that people like their view of of some people's view of the government is basically like that person who works at your job and you know that they know how to do the things that they're supposed to do, but everybody else believes that they don't know how to do it. And they're like, 
you're like, no, y'all, this person can do their job. Like, let's call them Sally. Sally knows how to do X, Y, Z. And everybody's like, do you really think Sally knows how to do this, 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 and that? And it's like, yes, she's just playing, y'all. Them not doing anything and you believing that they're not going to do anything, you're falling into that trap of like, mm-hmm. hey, yeah, they won't do anything. And I was, when I was having that conversation, I was explaining, like, I'm the type of person where it's like, even if they're saying like that they don't know how to do anything, well, you're there and you need to build your own capacity to get something done or you need to be removed. Like, it's not like I just can't see myself throwing my hands up and just letting that just ride out. Like, OK, I guess they don't know how to do anything. And now we just like these are our lives that they are really playing with. And it just is wild to me that many of us have accepted settling or just okay, they don't know what they're doing, and I guess the country will just be whatever it is. And okay, I mean, like we won't have healthcare, and you know, people yeah. will just have all this debt. So it is wild. So that's that, and just really. But I went in that conversation. I've been really trying to play more around with the idea of explaining it, like talking in terms of public government, where elected officials we get to choose do stuff. Is it perfect? No, not necessarily. But that's different from private government, and that's why I had brought up the Gravel Institute video i think it was them they talked about like do you you don't like you know the public but would you would you like secret people who are unaccountable and unelected making decisions mm-hmm. that's what the private mm-hmm. government piece is mm-hmm. so that's that and and then the, the final thing was like these uh somebody mentioned something about billionaires um there's like there's so, no such thing as a nice billionaire and it made me think of you did an episode with a non-geared artist right Yes, and yeah. another one that's supposed to be coming up um, soon. Okay. We're, in, we're trying to schedule it now, actually. Okay, that's dope. That's dope. So I think it's it's timely to revisit that because in that conversation I was having with that colleague, the benevolent billionaire came up, and they were like, it was multiple people, and I was in the minority, but I was just like, I was holding my own. But it was just they they really were like, you want to punish billionaires and they did something nice and they're doing something nice for the community and this, 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 and that. And I just was like, y'all, that's pennies. What you think that you get in that little thousand dollars that they donated to the little house, that ain't nothing when you got billions upon billions of dollars. And I was trying to explain to them, like, when all of those resources are aggregated in one space, they then have more power than the regular person to sway, like, a lot this way national the the domestic policy international policy etc and it just was like no they made their money we should just leave it at that like you gotta tax that stuff y'all because no one person should have that much power over you and there's not any type of um system of accountability yeah the presidency is it is what it is there's problems with it but at least there is some element of people voting in it as opposed to elon musk just being the freedom of speech czar and, and being in charge of like who gets to say what on Twitter. Yeah. We're still working with folks. So that's that, yeah. but you keep doing what you do and never give up and you keep the faith too. Thank you, Adrian. I appreciate you. Keep the faith, my friend. Yeah. And look, play me out. <laughs> <laughs> look, you know, I have to cue that up in advance. I don't have a pull up on my computer, but I will next time. <laughs> next time you see me in the chat, you know, you got to cue me out. Y'all I know, and I'll program it into my soundboard so I'm never caught flat-footed again. Please, you got to stop saying soundboard because I'm about to get my own soundboard and my friends are going to be pissed. I've got, so, look, okay. Then, then the you last, can play yourself out, Adrian. Then I'm gonna Everybody pretend out. I'm singing the, the Rocky music as I pull up Sylvester. <laughs> Take care, Adrian.
Sylvester, bringing you up from the caboose. How you doing? Sister Brianna. <laughs> How you doing, Brother Sly? Oh, sister, I'm doing well. I know that you're just being such a force of good energy and just, <laughs> just, just, just amazing. Just <laughs> I don't know. He just be doing. I don't know. I kind of lost it, but that's what I'm telling you. If you want to, anytime you want to bring Doctor West up to go ahead with his sisters and brothers, I felt and- it. I felt it. That felt that felt authentic. You can take that show on the road. <laughs> uh, co-host, you're too kind. You're too kind. Um, you know, I was tonight. I was thinking of something because you brought up uh, who's that? The DA from. San Fran mm-hmm. that got Chaser mm-hmm. bringing up Chaser and it made me think of someone who I got beef with and I feel like a lot of people a lot more people should have beef with them who's that? London Breed let's talk about it she's one of these these uh, black mayors did she go to the, the Bloomberg camp? she probably did but, but, but London Breed is is trying to wage a like drug war 2.0 and i think and i want to hear your thoughts on it and i think it's something that you know should be a conversation on how black folk deal with the black elite Mm. you know because for a lot of because the thing is like even in l.a we about to like you know there's been that reckoning with uh you know everything going on the city council but it's most likely that Karen Bass is going to be brought into being the mayor, right? Mm-hmm. And she can get past this billionaire. Speaking of, <laughs> we're talking about good billionaires and things like that. Um, billionaires is crazy. They're really kind of wild. Like, just, yeah. Anyways, but mm-hmm. um, so with Karen, because Karen is talking about bringing more cops, spending mm-hmm. more money on policing. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, okay, um, a lot of, Black folk, not just black women. I know a lot of black women are really excited about it, but just, you know, black folk in general um, are just happy to have that black face in a high place. Mm-hmm. It's not getting mm-hmm. it done. Mm-hmm. How, how, how are we supposed to start going about those conversations? Because I know that you even kind of touched on the past about like how it's even tough for you to, you don't even bring up Obama sometimes just because you know it's mm-hmm. like, a touchy subject. And like when I go into these schools, uh, these schools and, you know, LAUSD, the school district out here, I get upset. I almost feel triggered every time I see a portrait of Obama and Kamala <laughs> and Stacey Abrams and all of the blacks, <laughs> to quote Neri Martinez, all of the blacks that, that we, you know, put on a pedestal that really ain't done nothing for us. Yeah. So first... First, I would like to say that my suspicions are confirmed. Uh, Mayor Breed, did she endorsed Michael Bloomberg? Mm-mm. I had forgotten that was the case, but it has true. It is true. Um, I'm trying to find her. Her explaining um, why she says uh, it. it uh, it will not be easy, of course, but it's still worth it because we <laughs> want to make sure the Democratic nominee has the ability to bring people together and beat Donald Trump. And I think that Michael Bloomberg is the person to do it. He has what it takes. And I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. And I think the tide is changing 
in this race, and people are taking a serious look at his candidacy. Mm-hmm. What do you do with something like, <laughs> like when I when you hear something like, and she endorsed his brother with a brother like Bernie Sanders on the ticket, and it's just like, where does somebody like that get their politic? Now, also, this whole as article talks about all these big city mayors are lining up behind Bloomberg without saying a single goddamn thing about Bloomberg's mayor academy. I, I wish I could remember the name of that thing so I could Google it. But I promise you, if, if I if I look at, it, I swear I would bet the I would bet the farm on the fact that she went and took that million dollars, little peas, measly peas, and people sell their soul for just a million dollars. You can't even live off the interest of a million dollars for the rest of your life. What you going to do with a million dollars? You still have to work. They'll sell their whole soul for a million dollars and endorse Michael Bloomberg. So this other article I just pulled pulled up from two th- the end of last year called on on bloomberg by the way lol um mm-hmm. called why <laughs> the san francisco mayor just pivoted on policing talks about her wild pivot to the right on all this tough on crime business so you're asking me how we're supposed to talk about these income poops mm-hmm. to black people who mm-hmm. feel very strongly about black faces in high places mm-hmm. i'll tell you one thing this the criminal justice pivot, I think, is hipping a lot of folks to why representational politics ain't it. Kamala, God bless her. Happy birthday to her, by the way. It's her birthday? <laughs> I think I saw a tweet to that, to that end today. But Kamala, I think, if she served any purpose, it was to unshackle a lot of black people from that kind of politics. Because we came off of, with the Black Lives Matter movement, I'm not talking about the national organization, mm-hmm. but the Black Lives Matter movement, which has been percolating since, like, 2014 or so, you know, we've yeah. all been really invested in the idea that criminal justice issues were core to our politics. And for Kamala Harris to be so bad in an area that was so closely identified with black politics, I think rattled a lot of people. And I think when we look at Stacey Abrams and why she's not able to get more support with black male voters in particular in Georgia, when you look across the board, I think there are a lot of folks who are over it. I think that you're right to identify that a lot of black women are more invested than black men in these characters. Mm. And that's difficult. That's difficult. Oh, okay. I, I don't know. I don't know what we're supposed to do about it. I mean, it's the obvious truth that this is this these hard pivots, right? Are people feeling like that's the side of the the of the bread? What is the expression? The side of uh, the bread is the buttered. The bread on. is getting buttered on. Yeah. Yeah, and they just I don't know. Like they don't. I think that I think these women are more corruptible because they have fewer resources. And so they take the money and they change their politics more easily than someone who was independently funded, which sucks. But we're going to have to contend with this. And unfortunately, until they suffer more risks from turning on their criminal justice backgrounds than they do from staying the course and losing out on funding and support from the, frankly, racist establishment, then they're going to keep doing it. And I don't, I don't, some of us are going to have to get a lot of blowback for saying the truth about these people. I did. 
Right. I, I saw someone someone liked a tweet today. You know how sometimes you get these alerts because someone likes one of your old tweets, and they had liked a tweet, and it took me to this thread where me and Brittany Crunk, Professor Crunk, Brittany Cooper. We're arguing about oh, uh, you Kamala know, I Harris. Think she was just in the news. Well, not in the news, but like I think she was all on Twitter. Everybody was talking about. Did you see that yesterday? Yeah, because she was fighting. She all these academic, all these black academic women are talking <laughs> about how people are too sassy to the professors on Twitter or something. <laughs> yeah, like we're not gonna be colleagues down the line, and I'm taking notes. Right. And then like, yo, so why are you threatening? <laughs> right. All of them are, well, that's, that's the thing. It's like this weird, like there's a, there's a human part of me that has empathy for the idea of like feeling like the underdog, feeling like you don't get respect, feeling like you worked really hard for a credential and people not treating you the same as your colleagues, potentially because you're black and female and all of this stuff. But the way that they act so imperious and like it, it, it's like I, I, at the second, like you don't give me room to feel empathy for you because you, you're, you're, you're being an underdog makes you feel entitled to be such an asshole. But now I don't care that you're an mm. underdog. You're just acting like an asshole. You don't want to be treated equally. You want to be treated superior in a superior. Yeah. You, you, you want to be a part of an unequal system, and you're mad that people aren't respecting that you've climbed to the top of an unequal system. You have no actual interest in equality, and that, ex- that extends from their place in academia to their broader politics, which is why I don't give a shit about Kamala Harris's criminal justice record. And she tweeted at me something along the lines of like, no, 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 actually, it wasn't even her. It was Ellie Mistel. It was an Ellie Mistel tweet. I mean, something there was something with her as well. But like Ellie Mistel had quote tweeted me talking about how like, you know, he says something about how like black people, you know, I don't spend all my time on the Internet, like tearing down black women when Kamala got picked. And I had quote tweeted it saying something like it's not just he was like white people tearing down black. women. I was like, it's not just white people. There are a lot of black people. Mm-hmm. Who are very critical of her because of how she's treated black people, and that got a lot of likes, and that made him upset. And then he said something. Well, I guess my in my circles that I run, and I see a lot of black people who are excited about it. I don't know who you're hanging out with or who you're listening to, what people don't like her. And I replied like, Well, I call them black Californians, <laughs> people who know better, <laughs> like people right. who are familiar with her. <laughs> anyway, I don't even know what we're talking wow. about anymore. Oh, London Not- Reed. I don't know. What do you think? No, nah, I mean, first, sister, sister Brianna. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to start calling you the good doctor because <laughs> the diagnosis that you just gave for that prognosis, I don't even know if that made sense, but it rhymed. And that's what brother Dr. West be doing. Is <laughs> exactly what, no, honestly, you hit that, you hit that like nail on it, like they've risen and, and you know, okay, they've risen and they've got to that point where it's just like, okay, I made it. Y'all should give me that respect. But at the same time, they playing both sides of the fence. And I think that uh, now that you're saying everything that you're saying, I think that we um, what would be helpful is if we start having a different disc, like different conversations about like us making it looks like and mm-hmm. us making it. It can't be you making it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we basically like had to settle for mm-hmm. just because it's been so hard for like so many people to make it because so many people just I'm not even gonna say fall through the crack it's like a whole ca- like canyon people just fall through it mm-hmm. and then we'll just be happy that okay this is the one like I have my homie or whatever he was just like 
bill, black billionaires are good. My ignorant homie, everybody got an ignorant homie. My ignorant homie was just like, yeah, you know, black billionaires are good because it gives us something to aspire to, to look up to. Like we could be that one day when it ain't gonna happen. Like most likely, you know, um, yeah. you'll be lucky if you, you, you know, you a hundred thousand air, let alone a, a billionaire. Um, but I think that having conversations about like, you know, just, it has to be like your definition of success should be communal instead of individual. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it helps start to like unpack and like give less power and weight to people who just want to say, look at me, we good, we made it, or Mm -hmm. I'm going to take care of you. Cause even that, I don't even think that's fair to put it on one person to like lift everybody up. So we looking out for them, too, is like, okay, you don't need to be the one exceptional black. Yep. Yep. And I honestly, I'm not trying to make everything about Kanye, but I was looking. Bring it back to him because he has a lot of that energy. Yep. I was listening to that podcast, the the Dream Champs podcast or whatever. (laughs) And first of all, no one told me it was three hours long. Like the things I do for the discourse. The things you do for the discourse. (laughs) Did you have one of your beers while you was listening to us so you can kind of like, you know, participate with the drink tap vibe? LOL. No, I was, (laughs) I was, I was doing my bullet journal while I listened earlier today. (laughs) But, um, I, I, you, when you, when you listen to him, he sounds like someone who did that exact thing, who scrambled, made it to the top and was not, was also not welcomed in. The way that Britney Crunk and all of them feel like, oh, yeah, I'm still they're still treating me substandard and then got mad because what he really wanted to do was be part of a hierarchy. And I was listening to some mm-hmm. oh, J- F- FD signifier who I've had on the show. You know, we had him on the Manosphere episode. He's like a big he's huge on YouTube as like a one of those video essayists. And I was listening to his. He did a stream today about um in touched on Kanye and he was saying that he listened to Charlemagne the God. I'm sorry. This is like 12 degrees of set Kanye West. He was like, he was listening to Charlemagne the God and he's like, I don't always like Charlemagne, but Charlemagne tends to have insight, good insights about hip hop people. And, and Charlemagne was saying apparently that that's Kanye's issue. Like Kanye cares too much about what white people think and that Kanye has always wanted to be accepted by the status quo. And that's why he finally like his full breakdown. He's always been talking about how, he wanted to be at the top of the fashion industry, but he didn't want to make urban wear. He didn't really want to make fashion that appealed to black mm-hmm. people. He wanted to, quote unquote, elevate the taste <laughs> and appeal to the people who he felt like shut him out. And when you listen to his music, because I was also re-listening to um, College Dropout. Mm. And, you know, the whole album is like, why doesn't anybody respect me? I went to college and I still have to work at the Gap. And at the Gap, they look at me with suspicion. But let some black people walk in. I bet they trot out their token blackie. You know what I'm saying? And and it it it's I I, I feel for him because on some level like I don't I don't mean it you know don't oh, don't, yeah, yeah, don't yeah. cancel me <laughs> yeah. but like there's there's something it's same with Brittany Crunk like there's something empathetic with like I feel sad for you it's like a Stockholm syndrome it's like free yourself from caring what these people think about you you are a genius stop stop at, stop looking for someone else to validate that you're a genius you're a genius you don't need permission from some white person. You don't need to get mad at your so-called Jewish producer about it. (laughs) Just be a genius, my friend. You don't need – you stop looking for validation and certainly stop looking for validation for people who aren't even in your community and don't even love you like that. 
but then now we start talking about like what your community looks like and his community don't look like us anymore. So I, I think I had a friend that was telling me it was just like that. I guess the higher in terms of class that black folk get, the further away they get away from blackness or that that person ascribes to that. Like you, you even see people like I see like NBA players now like talk about it. And, and, and you know, because the thing is like like rich tech people or just rich people in period, like see how much like sway and influence players have. And like what they do, like uh, like Robert Kraft, like the owner from the the New England Patriots, right? Um, he'll they'll start bringing the rappers, the athletes all around them, and put an arm around them, and like get them to start thinking the way they think about life, mm. and then they start modeling the same behavior and start trying to replicate the same things because oh, well, these folks, a lot of them being white. They got money and they've been doing it a lot longer than I've been doing it. So that must be the way to do it. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and follow that. And then, you know, like when it comes to like, okay, like what are you doing for your community? Well, we aren't a part of their community anymore. Like now it's, it's almost like we become, I think we become like charity. Oh, we going to do the whole, like we're going to do a, a summer camp for y'all. We're going to put a playground for y'all. But then like when it comes to like anything structural and talking about that, you're not going to say nothing because, oh, that's your boss. That's the dude who's paying your mm-hmm. checks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the, that's the conflict. So um, that's where, and again, even with, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Think yeah I, I was going to just say that I, I don't think, I was thinking about the earlier caller who was, uh, Fractal was talking about um, the Kardashians and stuff. And even though I, I, w- I did push back against the idea that there's like abuse or that they're necessarily doing something quote unquote wrong. I do, I do see him on that show, and I see him in that house, that all white house. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, not like literally, not like the people, like, oh. <laughs> like, like the house is sterile and and white, and you know, there's no him there, and there's no, you know, you know, there's no one like him there either in that house, and he's a man who very publicly lost his mom and doesn't seem to be very well rooted. Doesn't have any family. Yeah, at a certain who, point, man, we're gonna have to stop bringing up a lot of people that lost their mamas. Like, okay? I, I, I know, but like, he's also bipolar. I mean, like, he's got a lot going on. I'm just saying, like, I see him in that environment, and it is not an environment that looks like it's especially validating of who he is intrinsically as a person. And that's a different thing. Like, I'm not saying that, like, it's not the Kardashians' fault that they're white. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not blaming them for that. I'm just saying that, and that's why I would, was defending them to fractal earlier. Uh-huh. But I do think that for him, he needs to find roots somewhere. And I don't know that it's going to be there or in Colorado or wherever that Wyoming. is. They're like, they're like, Wyoming. <laughs> No shade to Wyoming. I hear it's very beautiful. Uh, shout out to everybody from Wyoming. Um, I, I'm a I, I'm a hop, uh, but I wanted to ask you before I go. Um, did you hit up Cerise? Yes. This is. Oh, you didn't hear me when I was talking before. When you when I tried to pull you up before, I hit her up. She connected me with a guy who broke the story, and I'm like, okay, then both of you guys come on. And she's like very firmly says that she thinks that I should interview him and that she's not the right person to talk to. And I was like, really? I tried twice. I tried immediately. At first I, I invited her on. She introduced me to the other guy. I emailed the other guy and her and was like, you both should come on. And she was like, no, he's the one that you should talk to. 
And I was like, are you sure? We can talk to both of you. No, he's the one we should talk to. So I I don't tell you, I'm setting up that interview. Talk to your girl because for lots of reasons, including your recommendation, but also including the fact that I find it very difficult to maintain any kind of gender parity among the guests that I've had on the show. (laughs) I would love for her to be a part of this. Yeah. Okay. No, okay. I'll talk to her. I'll talk to her. I'll I'll circle back around, around to that and see like what happened with that situation. Um, and then, uh, lastly, when are you coming to LA? Um, I told my little brother I was going to come and visit him, uh, in like January once I'm needing a break from the cold and once he's settled into his new apartment. Yeah. Okay. Cause yeah, you know what? It might even be better for you to meet some folk too. Um, and there's a lot of cool organizing things that are starting to build up. Um, no name. I just had a, I was at a, her, her book club. Um, and they're doing they're doing a lot of work with uh, folks who are incarcerated, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I think yeah there'd be some some cool connections, cool connections, uh, you know, whenever you do touch base out here. But then I know it's a long queue as always, so I'm gonna go ahead and sign off, Sister Brianna, my stewardess shit, <laughs> my steward of justice and hope and possibility. Keep on keeping the faith, <laughs> Sister Brianna. <laughs> Thank you, brother Sly. I appreciate you. <laughs> Keep it babe. All right, Amanda, what's on your mind this evening? Hey, Brianna. Well, first, um, one of the things that Cornell West said that's super poetic that I went, oh, yeah, and then thought about, wait. I cannot be an optimist because I am a prisoner of hope. I mean, it's just so poetic. Mm. I won't even try to emulate his style, but I mean, I mean, I cannot be an optimist because I am a prisoner of hope. I mean, just so beautiful. So I, that was the first thing. And I heard that mm. on one of your shows. So mm. um, the other thing is, um, I haven't talked to you in quite a while. And and I just wanted to say to all the people that keep telling you, you should run for office. You should tell them you did run for office because what happens when you're with a presidential campaign in a specific kind of role, like you were, is that there's coattails that happen. So I think that you should take some credit for being part of a presidential campaign, a team that was going to, hopefully make the changes we needed at the time. So, so that's one thing I just wanted to say about that because that I've been holding for a moment. Well, according to uh, my fans on Reddit, I'm the person who single-handedly ran the Bernie campaign into the ground. So with that kind of auspicious start, I don't know that I should ever uh, dip a toe in. (laughs) Again, well, this y'all don't go on Reddit. Just don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, or do, or do, because there was a bad faith Reddit, and like Reddits are really important for podcasts to get like community engagement and people subscribing and like following them. And the initial Reddit we started got shut down like the first day, and then the not that we started, but that got that got organically started by the fans. And then there's been this other like black faith feed, I think it's called that's been going on, but they s- just stopped posting to it about a year ago. And 
I think that someone should start up a bad faith community on the internet, but mostly it's just, it's mostly like, uh, either breaking points or red scare reddits, uh, talking about me usually in a negative way. Uh, and usually about how, uh, I'm, I single-handedly ruined the Bernie campaign and now I'm a, I'm a oh, red brown. Wow. Fascist. You're so powerful, Brianna Joy Gray. What a yeah. powerful woman you are. It's true. I can't deny it. <laughs> I'm so lucky to be speaking to you. <laughs> I want to speak about the, the article that you read about, yeah. about not being that I think the reaction shouldn't be what I'm not a faux leftist or whatever the, whatever the tags that they were saying or, uh, 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 used to a former leftist or whatever it was. I think the collection of people they were calling out is part of a growing group of people that are beyond left and right that want to be on, be beyond left and right. I think that a response to that article speaking about how it's not about left or right, it's about us or some such, I'm not the comms professional Mm -hmm. here. No, you're doing, you're doing great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, that was just what occurred to me and, and, and I didn't really fill it out because it occurred to me as you were reading it. And then I've been listening to your conversation as we've been talking, but maybe it's a seed that, that can be expanded into something real. Um, The last thing is I want to just really quickly before you even respond to that, because I'm, it's really nice to, to, to be talking to you again. I've been listening so much and it's so nice to hear you talking to everybody. I don't care who owns it. It's a platform that we can use to to really get connections that are working. Like Omar and Stoopy and I have been going down and we went to an anti-war protest last weekend. We met oh, on call. Oh, that's so nice. Where, so, where are you guys located? Oakland. Oh, that's so nice. Oh, a lot of California callers. Yeah. Is it because well, is it because I do this so late that it's like a reasonable hour where you are? I, I, no, I think no matter what time you did your show, I'd be I'd be here. But um, but but there's a rally this weekend in solidarity to railroad workers because, you know, the two largest unions have still not ratified their um, tentative agreements, even yeah, though there's been some be unions. Yeah, it's about because it's because the two biggest one of the one of the unions rejected. And and there's two more, and they're the two that have the most employees. So we're we're going to have a rally at the Port of Oakland Shoreline Park, 3 p.m. Saturday, October 22nd. If you're in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, California, um, please get down to the Port of Oakland Shoreline Park, 3 p.m. Saturday, October 22nd, to show solidarity for railroad workers and their right to strike. So you, thank you, you for you giving me the platform. Of course. Take a, if, you, if you all meet up, take a picture and uh, add it to me or send it to me in all the ways. So I see for it. Sure. For I'll sure. Tweet it. All right. Ha- thank you. For, happy to. Okay. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you for calling in, Amanda. Yeah. Have a good night. Keep the faith. You too. Keep the faith. By the way, Amanda made me go back and glance at this article again. I skipped ahead a little bit, but one of the funniest things is like, okay, again, who's in this coalition allegedly? Um, listen to how they try to tie in me, Katie and Anna Kasparian as, as in league on these apps. Okay. 
Listen to this. Listen to this. Sachs, David Sachs, is quietly becoming the leading practitioner of a new right-wing sensibility that has emerged in the political realignments provoked by Trumpism and the pandemic. On foreign policy, it offers a blend of isolationism, Trumpist nationalism, suspicion of the deep state, and the anti-empire realism of John Mearsheimer. Domestically, the vision is more muddled. A series of angry poses, a politics of peak, much of it playing out on Twitter, Colin, YouTube, Rumble, Substack, and other online media, especially among people who may have once counted themselves on the left, but now can't countenance the sight of homeless encampments. Sounds me. <laughs> it's the Young Turks host, Anna Kasparian, dedicating an episode to, quote, violent criminals being let off easy in California. Jacobin columnist Ben Burgess calling critics of Kasparian's reactionary takes on bail reform and other criminal legal system issues the, quote, silliest scolds of the online left. And Nando Vila, a Jacobin contributor and one-time host of The Jacobin Show, arguing that fighting false perceptions about crime is, quote, definitely a losing battle because all you have to do is see that it is real in the form of homelessness, which has been increasingly criminalized. On what planet do I, or even like half the people on that list are like virulently arguing with people like Anna Kasparian all day about that issue. And they clearly have just like, like there are people who agreed with Anna that are like on the left. They're not mentioned in this article because this article is only interested in trying to take whatever connection they have to a handful of apps that this person doesn't like that, that, this is, by the way, TNR. This is like an online magazine writing about how bad online stuff is. Twitter, Colin, YouTube, Rumble, Substack, that's like half of the online. What do you want people to do? Write on scrolls and tie it to a raven's leg? Sorry. Jonathan, come up here and talk to me about this or whatever else was on your mind. I, I, I cannot believe this article. It's so bizarre. Do these people just not understand the space, like the online space, and they just don't get it, so they're saying silly things? Or are they intentionally just trying to pull down all media that isn't their media in a competitive way? Or do they actually think there's some like through thread between like me and Ben Burgess? I don't know what they think about like, they just, I, I, there's a couple of people even here in Colin who just throw the word left at anything they don't like. And some other people who just throw the word liberal at anything they don't like, but I don't know. They just, it means whatever they need it to mean right at the moment. But uh, I just wanted to talk about student debt. Nobody else sure. does it. Like, can You're I the first. Go? That's the topic of the of the the title of the show. Okay, you, so you are the first person with interest in that topic. I welcome it. What's on your mind? <laughs> What's that about? <laughs> okay, it's, it's going to sound like I'm not talking about student debt for a second, but I really am. Because it sound like it's going to sound like I'm talking about inflation, which I already mentioned about how commodity inflation is aggressive, like because a, a dollar on a gallon of gas or the gallon of milk is a larger percentage of a poor person's income every time they have to pay it than a rich person's income. So the dollar not holding its value is regressive. It squeezes poor people. Mm -hmm. Well, that's commodity inflation. But the same is true as asset inflation. Assets, land, stocks and bonds are what? They're ladders of upward mobility. And they're the primary gen uh, vehicle for generational wealth. So when you keep them out of the hands of people who don't already have them, you're, you're creating a generational poverty. It's a systemic 
poverty and pulling the ladder up from anybody who was not already there. And uh, we, we, the students can't get bailouts, but the banks can get the bailouts, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the banks getting bailouts is even worse than you think it is. It's like Obama didn't just create $700 million. When they bail out a bank, it's with the premise that, oh, the economy will collapse if they don't. Now, what do they mean like that? Do they mean you're not going to be able to get your deposits out of your bank account? No, that's the FDIC insures your deposits. You're always going to be able to go draw your money out of the ATM. What they're worried about is the bank is not going to be able to create new credit. Nobody's going to be able to get credit. They're not going to, they're going to not make new businesses or whatever. But when the bank got the money, they used it to create credit to do what? To buy back their own stock. Mm. Like, so it didn't even do the thing it was supposed to do. It was supposed to save the economy and it didn't. It, it crashed it. See, when you multiply money, when you have like a, a, a dollar in a bank, that bank can create up to 10 more, give or take. Uh, there's since March 2020, there's actually no technical limit on it, but there's still practical limits on it. It's about nine times. So Timothy Geithner and Larry Summers actually created about $9 trillion. And that's what that bailout did. It did the exact opposite mm -hmm. because that asset bubble, that asset inflation is the 180 degree opposite of the purpose of it. Remember the voltage thing? That number is the opposite of the economy. It's not the economy. It's the opposite of it. Whereas putting it in the hands of students, giving a bailout to those people would have been the economy. We are the economy. There's nobody else better yeah. to create an economy yeah. than, than us, than the people who are educated to do exactly that to create things, to create new places for money to go so it won't be so inflationary. Listen, what they're saying, who needs the argument that they're making is that because, um, you know, of the supply chain crisis, they don't want us to have money because they actually don't want us to spend and drive up costs. Isn't that the whole, their whole shtick? They're trying to create d demand destruction, and you can make demand destruction by having the reverse repo facility pay out money to people who already have it so that they don't put it in my hands so that I can't spend anything. It's keeping poor people poor to keep the cost of wages yeah. down. That's why you create a bunch of desperate people by keeping the cost of wages down. That's why they want to have no abortion but no child care so that there's more desperate people to keep the cost of the wages down. That's why Adolf Reed says there was Jim Crow. Because when white and black people play baseball and barbecue together, what do they do? They unionize. That raises the cost of wages. Wait, no, you can't have that. That's divide and conquer. Keep the cost of wages down. Everything is about keeping the cost of wages down because what backs up the treasury is your back. My, your, my, I'm literally my back in the labor mm -hmm. I do with it. Mm -hmm. But who, who, yeah. let's, okay, who really does need a bailout? Is it really students? Because we, we talked before about how it's really a community college would be better than bailing out students, right? Because then the problem would go away. Mm -hmm. But you, you, you have a neoliberal and a red tie and a neoliberal and a blue tie. And they seem different, but they're really not. Because the Republican wants to trickle down money through the private sector to get everybody paid to afford an ever-increasing cost of living. A, a Democrat wants to trickle down money through the public sector to get everybody paid to afford an ever-increasing cost of living. See, the logic is identical. What nobody's talking about is how that just innate assumption that the cost of living is going to go up 10 points year over year for people who commute and rent their housing 
that's just sort of accepted as a natural, immutable, universal law. When it's not at all, it's systemic. What makes mm. you not a neoliberal is not accepting exactly that. Who, well, who needs the bailout? The cost of living is what needs to be bailed out. Not even the students. It's just, yeah. it, you're never going to catch up with that. You're always going to have more people falling through the cracks. And as long as the asset bubble stays high, you're never going to have the fewer people falling through the cracks per capita than the year before. Well, how do you pop the asset bubble? You have a wealth tax and at the expense of all other taxes. Yeah, I support that. Yeah, (laughs) that's it's just that's not right or left. Like replacing income tax with wealth tax is not a right or left position. It's just a mathematical position about disincentivizing the thing that doesn't produce anything. They don't, these people, even a blind Sagar and Jetty finds an acorn now and again. And it was in 2020 that he was like, oh, you guys start talking about good billionaires, bad billionaires, right? Well, the ones whose names you know and you just love to hate, they're not even the worst ones because in, in the 2020, mm-hmm. there were say 17 new billionaires. Because wealth, what wealth inequality means is there's more billionaires every year than the year before, right? Because one out of six people is killing it right now at the expense of the other five, right? Yeah. But 12 out of the 17 new billionaires made their money doing what? Financial arbitrage, front-running trades, speculation, land hoarding. They don't produce a goddamn thing. The billionaires whose names you know, at least they make something. You, you Yeah, sure, they're morally, like awful human beings but systemically they're not the worst billionaires Mm -hmm. systemically the ones are the ones whose name you don't know Mm. systemically the worst people in the world are the people to whom america pays interest we have the power to make up money but we don't we we allow a private bank to make up money and we pay it interest as it loans it to us there are people who take i think the coupon rate is up to four percent now there are human beings who take 4%, the cream, right off the top of the whole country. What are their names? You don't know. I don't know. Nobody does. That's the evil people. And they're not capitalists because they don't produce anything. They're wealthists, kind of. Oh, I kind and of like And they don't that. want student loans to be bailed out. Yeah. That was yeah, sort like of about that. student loans, but I went on a tirade. Sorry. No, that's good. It, it, some earlier caller, I forget who now, I apologize was talking about doing radars that focus on billionaires. And I think that that's a great angle. I like cutting through the idea of them being kind of job creators and value adds to society by saying they're not even, I don't like a capitalist, but they're not even capitalists. You got to, and then focusing on wealth tax because the wealth tax is popular, even among Republicans. And I'm not saying it's like 80% or something, but it's not, the numbers aren't bad. Yeah. So think of split Bezos into two people. People are like, oh, in Eisenhower's day, the income tax was 90%. He made like $88,000 in actual salaried income as the president of Amazon, right? Income tax is not how you get at that wealth anyway. And a corporate Mm -hmm. tax is not how you get at it. They record no profits for years on end. It's wealth. It's or cap gains, I guess you could say. But if you do wealth and cap gains, that's redundant, right? Because cap gains is wealth. Like a, a judiciously defined wealth tax would include land value tax, cap gains tax. You know, if you just define wealth carefully enough, it includes land tax. Which, so Henry George and J.P. Proudhon can be right. 
but it's not 1790 anymore. Like back then, land and wealth were almost the same thing, right? There were exceptions, but in 2022, there's more exceptions than rules. So you can't just say, oh, land. You do all wealth, which includes land and capital gains. But yeah, how you get at that wealth, you got to split Bezos up into two fiscal uh, entities. He's not just one person. And forget about his moral character of the human person. I've never been tested like that. If I had that much money, I'd probably be a piece of shit. I, I'm not that good of a person. Yeah. Yeah. So it's we get obsessed with the character of the celebrity of the the pastiche and the facticity. It's like ignore all that shit. That's just that's the that's the simulacra telling you what to think. And you were talking earlier about how you don't tell people they don't really believe what they believe. I tell people that all the time. When you can't <laughs> trust the contents of your own mind, that's propaganda working the way it's supposed to. The most insidious unfreedom is experienced as freedom. Uh, the people who are most hopelessly enslaved. How do, how do people uh, typically respond to that, Jonathan? Oh, they, they fucking hate that shit. <laughs> if somebody has a, d- a degree in economics and or political science, they think they know something. I'm like, no, everything you th- learned in your neoliberal state university has made you dumber because I had to go unlearn it afterwards. I could do a whole thing on Adam Smith. I'm not going to do that right now, but everything I learned was a lie. And I had to go unlearn it. And it was a really hard and time-consuming and boring. That's the real reason people don't really engage with what is truly systemic. It's not because they have a problem confronting their white guilt. They actually love that shit. When they self-flagellate with one hand, they're jerking off with the other one. The real reason they don't engage with the systemic is because it's boring. Bank balance sheets are boring. Like looking at the, the law against selling individual cigarettes instead of looking at how racist those cops were is boring that's why they hate it and not trusting your own mind is not just boring it's actually terrifying yeah i mean i definitely think that you're right part of my kind of faux anti-intellectualism when i say i don't like to read and stuff is i am trying to make a point about i don't know people have short attention spans and i just think that people like you gotta be engaging and i think about this sometimes with some content creators who have, have had their audiences shrink or are having a hard time getting folks to look at their videos and they're doing really important work. But also it's like, mm, you got to give someone like a little bit of candy with, with their vegetables. And it's, it's hard to strike that balance, but like, that's just, you, you can't take the human out of human nature and we're all having to contend with the limitations that we all bring to the table. So I, I definitely take your point and I appreciate you calling in as always, Jonathan. Yeah. Thank you. All right. That's keep great. the faith. All right, Jade, you look new. There's a whole little stretch here, people who are newish. And I'm going to try to – wait, Jonathan, did I call on you? Did I forget you? Have we talked today? I mean the other Jonathan, Jonathan okay. K. Okay, I'm going to come to you next, Jonathan, but Jade, go ahead. I'm sorry I forgot to go to the caboose and get you from before. But go ahead, Jade. Yeah, I've I've called in before but not very often, but I'm calling again from Utah. Oh, welcome back. <laughs> and, How's uh, Utah? It's, you know, it's Utah. It's fine. <laughs> but One of my best friends is from Utah, and her parents just moved to St. George. Is that a place? Yeah, it is. that is a place. 
That's like in the yes. southern part yes. of the state, pretty close to the national parks. It stays she pretty says, like warm throughout the year. Yeah, she says it's so hot. She's like, she's worried about her parents because if the AC goes out, they'll just die. But it is kind of a retirement spot for Utahns who want to get away from the snow. That's what's happened. That's what they're doing. They've retired. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what's yeah. on your mind tonight? Um, yeah, well, one of the things that uh, I guess I'm kind of going back to like the protests episode about the climate protests and um, the soup can and stuff. It just because um, I think, you know, like people are like, oh, they shouldn't do this or very critical of the situation. But also it's like, well, what are people supposed to do? You know, like right. here in Utah, um, which is actually the fastest growing state, like population wise, hmm. um, according to the last census, the 2020 census. Interesting. It's number one for population growth. It has several cities that rank highest there too. So there's a lot of like businesses coming in, like um, a lot of tech industry, um, but then also like there's uh, inland ports that uh, was going to be developed on the west side of Salt Lake City. And a couple, a few years ago when this was in development, um, this would be really detrimental to the environment. And especially on the west side, there's a racist element to it because a lot of the um, people of color and um, which, which I guess they're primarily Chicano and Latino populations like live on the west side of the city. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so it ties into like environmental racism as well. But uh, there, the, when the plans were being rolled out, a lot of people united to kind of fight this. Um, by like talking to elected officials, by doing city council pack-ins. And it was like anarchists and like liberals and like just like a broad section of people who care about the environment. Because a lot of, um, especially in the Salt Lake area, there's a lot of people who moved to Utah who are um, here for the, uh, you know, mountains, for the national parks, for mm -hmm. the outdoors and those activities. But a lot of people care about this deeply. and um, so they, they had like a pack in at the chamber of commerce and where there was, there were probably like a hundred plus people kind of there. And it got broken up by police who like brutalized everyone there. And there were people mm -hmm. in their seventies, there were young people, there were disabled people. And it was like a big deal, um, because police really just like didn't care. <laughs> and like really mess people up and then also some of them are facing charges for the protest as well um and for being there and doing that and so i mean and then and then you know the city approved the plans for the inland port and it's being built and put in now you know so mm -hmm. i feel like there's like a lot of times where people try to go through the right the correct avenues mm -hmm. um of being res respectable like in quotations right of like going talking to their elected officials um trying to voice like their concerns in through like the proper channels and then at the end like you know developers and the money and all of that like just 
it, it doesn't matter. Like the environment like doesn't matter. And at this point, uh, the Great Salt Lake is also drying up. And that's a huge deal because like it could release like a toxic, like arsenic cloud into Jesus. the city and across the, uh, across the valley. And uh, one thing I had to learn because I moved to Utah for school and um, mm-hmm. such was that in the winter, there's an inversion because um, we're like in a bowl in a valley between mountains. And the air quality is so bad that uh, even before COVID or anything, people were wearing like N95 masks or things like people who had to bike or be outside. And uh, it's some of the worst air quality in the country and in the world often. And uh, I was as a preschool teacher, I had to like check the air quality before I like took kids outside for recess (laughs) into play. Because wow. uh, the the particulate level could be at dangerous levels. Often there could be red air quality days. So yeah, just kind of like the frustration that you know, like there's always going to be criticisms about how we do things, how we organize, how we protest, and it's never going to please everyone. And there's never a right way because because of the I don't know, you know, like just uh. And, but at the same yeah. time, the frustration of like, what, what can you do? What can we do? And um, I guess there was a conversation a little bit about tactics and strategy, um, the last call in. And one thing that um, I use in organizing, and I got this from comrades in the Twin Cities in um, Minnesota, what is like the St. Paul principles, which... I recommend to people to look up if you would like, but basically it just lays out guidelines for organizing amongst groups, kind of like, you know, like we're going to respect other people's strategy and tactics. So we're not going to like publicly call them out. We can have Mm. private conversations about concerns. We're not going to cooperate with law enforcement around issues. We're going to um, try to organize, like not hold events at the same time or the same location when something else is already planned by another mm. organization. So just kind of like mm. friendly code of conduct for how to conduct your work with. Oh, this is cool. I um, don't know about this. Other people. So I also, um, it's been useful for us. And I think it was kind of relevant to that. It came up in the conversation last time. I really so. love that. Cause I've been looking for some, you know, I don't know, I guess validation for my instinct that like so much of this like public disagreement and infighting on the left, it's not that people are necessarily wrong about their critiques of stuff, but like, do we, do we have to talk about it all openly all the time? Like I think about, I really do. I say, I wake up every morning and I think about all the people I can't stand truly, I promise you, (laughs) that I withhold talking about on a daily basis i see these wild tweets i see the pettiness i saw a video today i watched a video today that was rightly supporting sort of at least covering what happened with katie helper at the hill and there's yeah. some full-blown shade running me at the end but you know what uh, it's fine because i'm very glad that they at least covered what happened to katie helper <laughs> 
every day. Yeah. I think I, we just don't have to be talking about all of this stuff. And I don't like, it just seems so obvious to me. And, and with the, we had Eric Levitz, Eric Levitz at New York mag wrote a, an op-ed about why he thought that the climate protest wasn't productive. The soup can thing was dumb. Mm-hmm. I'm oversimplifying it. I don't mean to put words in his mouth. It was a long and, um, you know, it was a, it was a thoughtful article, even though I disagreed with it. And we had him on rising to talk about it. And my main issue is this, instead of writing an article that says these protests are dumb and are going to make people hate the environment and just pollute harder. And moreover, we have to use fossil fuels in the short term. So what is even the point of this? One could simply write an article that says, these people are absolutely right to be trying to bring attention to this issue. Here's how the protest could have been even better. Yeah. Yeah. And you can say the exact same thing, by the way, you mm-hmm. could say they should do this and they should do that, but just take a supportive stance. And by the way, yeah. that could have also happened with force the vote. Here's how you mm-hmm. could have made it, make it better. And it could happen with half the thing, the people who are arguing about Medicare for all protests you know, people, the people who were criticizing the, the two guys who were just protesting AOC last week, every, every single one of these, you could simply say, hey, I completely agree with why they were protesting, and here's how they could do it even better. Yeah, that's it. Like, that, I think that was the context I was talking about the AOC protest that it kind of, like, I don't know, came up for me, like, is just. And I think, you know, like things that are so public and national and whatever, it's, you know, like you can't necessarily have the conversation with those protesters or, or like I or another person can't or the people that are commentating on it. But I do think just maintaining like, you know, not not trashing people's strategy or tactics, even if you disagree with them. And like you said, kind of maybe offering, uh, you know, I hate. I guess I kind of hate this term, but like constructive criticism about what you you would like to see or like how you think it could have been more effective. And I think, I don't know, I just, I think that's something that generally on the left we could use more of because I do think there's a lot of drama and there's a lot of, I don't know, just alliances that are we all here for the same issues? Are we fighting for the same goals? Like, you know, keeping like when we agree on something, fighting together for it. And yeah. then with yeah. the next issue, if we disagree about how to go about it, then part ways. Yeah. And like, yeah. you know, come back around when there's something else that comes up that we agree at and yeah. uh and unite when we can, but understand that, you know, tactics and strategy might be different based on issue or based on circumstances so yeah yeah for and, sure. Uh, for sure. yeah so also just as a preschool teacher uh we and then a, a program director actually um for a licensed child care here in utah i um well one i had about 12 staff that i managed in a program during the school year twice as many in the summer and my salary was thirty thousand dollars a year um of course this is for like an it was for a nonprofit, and I feel like that's you know kind of that happens in that those situations but 
also we used kitty litter and had kitty litter in every single classroom (laughs) and in in every single vehicle uh, (laughs) because it is the best way to clean up you know vomit (laughs) or or other bodily fluids like uh, with kids and uh, so you know it's not that unusual and I was like when I have my own kids like I'm going to have this kit at home because really I am have a really sensitive gag reflex and <laughs> hate those things. And like with our pets, like I have my partner, he has to do everything when if like there's an accident or something or some or a pet is sick, but I'll try, but <laughs> Yeah, I remember being in like first grade and being in the cafeteria and I saw someone throw up and, uh, (laughs) you know, the janitor comes with those that like pink stuff they put on. It's not like kitty litter, but it, you know, it's absorbent, whatever that pink stuff they used Mm -hmm. to sprinkle on top. And I saw it and I vomited sympathetically. And then someone else (laughs) down the table vomited because they saw me vomit and it was like this horrible waterfall of vomit reaction. Yeah, so I have a very distinct like memory of the smell and look of that stuff oh, that they pour up. Yeah, <laughs> there was one yeah. day when I there was a the pre K class. Um, I don't know if they had food poisoning or what. I don't think we were able to figure out what happened, but there were thirteen kids and their teacher oh. who vomited like within the course of like three hours, like, <laughs> and so like, I was cleaning up vomit after vomit, like my, my supervisor was, and the teen uh, program director was like cleaning up vomit. We were all just like going from one case to the next. We're like, what is happening? Cause, uh, and maybe some of it was sympathetic too, but yeah, I, if I, I hear that, know, I'm not even going to do it. It was the worst day. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. My, look, my, my sympathies to you. I wish you all of the kitty litter in the world and also, you know, a living wage. Thank and you. <laughs> thank you for coming. Oh, and one, one other person I just wanted you to check out, if you have time, is um, Frank Chapman. He's in Chicago. He's the direct standing chair for the National Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression. Just speaking of like elders um, kind of in the movement, he was in, falsely imprisoned um, on murder charges in like the, uh, I think like 70s um, yeah. or 60s. And uh, then was freed by like communist like efforts and then um, was part of the National Alliance then, which was founded um, in defense of Angela Davis. Um, who, you know, was when she was in prison for um, political repression, like as political repression. Um, and he, I know he's done podcasts. He's written a couple books, um, one about his time in prison and about organizing in prison for better conditions for prisoners, sometimes having to ally himself and um, those around him with antagonistic forces like with like white supremacists for example to fight for better conditions in the prison overall like and I think um he's just really great and then he also wrote a book on um 
Marxist and socialist um, perspective of like the, um, oh, let me, I, I totally just forgot like what it's called and um, sorry, one sec, let me look. Um, the Black Liberation and Socialism, which is about um, just communist movement alongside um, civil rights movement and like Black Liberation movements um, throughout history of the U.S. So he's really great. Hey, I know he's done podcasts, but I just wanted to plug him because he's Thank you. Amazing. Thank you for the suggestion. I wrote it in my, my Slack and I'll definitely <clears throat> follow up. I appreciate awesome. you calling in. Thank you so much. Keep the faith. Thank you. Keep the faith. All right, Jonathan, I forgot about you, but I didn't forget permanently. What's on your mind? Yeah, I, uh, I'm sorry about earlier. I, I thought I had probably at least 15, 20 minutes. And then, uh, you know, a couple of people dropped out and then Sly failed to launch. And <laughs> next I was up with like half a burger still in my hand. No worries. What's on your mind? Uh, well, firstly, I should say, uh, like, I'm no better about the gag reflex thing than you. I know you probably think I am, but uh, uh, Vicks oh, VapoRub. You're still squeamish? Yeah. Yeah, you, Vicks VapoRub. For those kinds of situations, you, you dab a little under your nostrils. It works like a nasal numbing agent and kind of suppresses that urge. Huh. Uh, and then, then, of course, you know, it hose it out as quickly as possible. But oh, anyway, yeah, that's uh, neither neither here nor there. Um, you know how we sometimes say it feels like you're channeling my spirit. Well, <laughs> you definitely you definitely nailed that on the radar today. Like that was literally the best one I think I've ever heard. Like just start to finish. Like actually, the whole rising was good. Like all the segments were just banging today. Like even the ones that I thought I would hate. You know, like look, look at those numbers, Jonathan. Our channel is getting crushed right now. If someone we've been talking about it internally a lot, they think that they have uh, there was like a bad rela a relationship gone sour with the YouTube rep because, like, if you just look at the numbers compared to like August, even which was already down from the numbers in January, there was like a huge cliff. Some of those videos have like 5,000 views on them. It's nuts. And no one really knows what to do about it. I think the show is literally getting better and the views are getting worse. So if you are yeah. considering liking a video or, you know, hitting the notification bell or something, whew, do it because I don't know how much longer they're going to even want to keep this thing around in its current form, with, current form without pivoting entirely to like uh, – the pixel app or whatever the hell they call it. These, these Roku things and stuff like that, because the YouTube is just not giving. Yeah. I mean, that is, well, I mean, it, it says your, your radar got 27 K views. Yeah. But that's like, that's back in the day when I, when I started at rising, that was like a pittance. That was like a bad performing radar. An average performing radar would be like 50,000. And a good solid radar would be like 80,000. And an exceptional radar for me would be like low 100. As an exceptional radar for Kim would be like half a million. But, you know, like for the rest of us, um, like that's what you would expect. But these days, these days I don't even measure myself against the old standards. I'm always just trying to beat A block. 
Like, if my radar does better than, like, the top of the show, which is usually the best performing block, then I'll consider myself to have one. So it's, like, the best, it's the most high-performing thing out today. But overall, the whole channel is just, like, squeezed. It's a mess. Yeah, I and I've actually, like, there's no doubt in my mind that YouTube has been playing with the algorithms and, uh, you know, crushing certain types of content, like, really squeezing them. And then, like, it's completely incongruous. Like, some of the most random stuff will be allowed and even, like, promoted and will get, like, 100,000, 200,000 views. Like, you know, some random, you know, explainer on, you know, this type of cryptocurrency and and stuff like that. It's just, it's, there's a lot of, but it's not, like, from a major channel or something, like, from some random guy. Uh, will get all these views. So it's like, it makes no sense. There's no rhyme or reason to what they choke well, off we, and we what they don't. Like, this isn't such a black box. There's a YouTube rep, and you know, when the, the real cliff happened when Rising was taken down, remember, for two weeks over, uh, remember, we it, it played a clip of a Trump rally. Like it just Oh, the played- one six thing. Yeah, it, we, the it election denial. Play, yeah, it used to play a lot of clips the way that C-SPAN just plays speeches that people make and stuff. No editorializing, just plays the speeches. And it it played a Trump speech where he did election denial, and they shut down the whole Hill web portal for two weeks. And then for three months after that, they had us on apparently some kind of like probation, where it was like half throttled, and then it went back to normal. And you can track all of this, and then it went back up, but then immediately. It, it looks like they said, "Oh, never mind. Like they're getting a lot of views again. We can't have that. Let's let's bring it back down." So I don't know what's going on. It's none of my business. You know, whatever. Uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, yeah. Don't think that reflects on the quality of the content because it was that's, fabulous. That's, that's the only reason I bring it up to say that. Like, I'm I'm happy to say that you think the show was good today. I also thought it was a really good show, but today was also some of the worst numbers we saw, and that's like dispiriting because there is no correlation. It seems between quality and viewer viewer numbers yeah well i mean that's one of the frustrating things about these um these platforms i think it's really easy to fall into the trap of thinking you know this is the public square and really if there was any justice in the world it would be but um unfortunately these are as you described in your media segment uh all uh private you know the, the the public square has been privatized and, you know, there's there's people, you know, with arbitrary and capricious whims uh, in charge of all these, basically every channel of information where there's, uh, I, there was a, this one guy who wrote a book on, on Rontier capitalism and and, uh, and that sort of thing. I, I, his name escapes me now, but uh, he, he called this a, a platform Rontier. They have a monopoly, he said, like the New York Stock Exchange or, you know, whatever on football traffic. It's where the people are. And, you know, if you can squeeze those, you know, and, and take control of those channels where all the people are, um, you know, you you basically uh, had coercive power. And unfortunately, it looks like that's what's happening all over the place. Um, you know, some places are better than others, but, you know, as, as we were talking about, like, you see Twitter suppresses people strategically. They're a little more subtle about it than Facebook, but they do the same thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, YouTube, Google, all those, uh, Rose McGowan was shouting about that for years. 
and yeah, like she's another one that you. My mentions, but I missed all of that. I gotta go and find those. That was probably me. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. Was probably me. Like, cause like she actually like DM'd me about it. Like we were mm-hmm. uh, talking back and forth about it. I you know I even found uh, that article where Facebook admitted they had a, a special whitelist for celebrities, and you know where they had you know much more careful. Uh, like they actually would write would route their content moderation to a person. And, you know, there was one day, like, during the second debate where they literally shut down Rose McGowan's, like, social media accounts when she was planning on doing, like, a response video with the People's Party uh, to the second presidential debate or something like that, and then just magically restored it uh, after the debate was over. And I'm like, that's not an algorithm. There's a person back there that took a look at your account and said, nope, push the button, and then reinstalled it and was like, oops, it was just a glitch. And, you know, like, there's no sense pretending that doesn't happen. So, but, uh, you know, really, I, I wanted to, like, just let you know, like, that, that whole uh, radar from start to finish was just absolutely perfect, 100% on point. Like, you even got that angle with the, uh, you know, the McCarthy-era persecution of, of leftist Jews there, and the fact that this weaponization of anti-Semitism uh, is, is basically... Uh, in large part being used is, is being weaponized as, you know, even more against, uh, you know, progressive Jews than it is against, uh, you know, anybody else. And, you know, just, uh, I mean, God, I could go on for hours. Like I've met Netanyahu like twice okay. and, uh, yeah, like it, you guys go I, to the same bar or what's the deal? <laughs> no. Like when I was, when I was in Israel a couple of times, you know, I was, a like I spent the post Katrina evacuation here at Hebrew U in Jerusalem. Mm. Um, so uh, they uh, like I wanted to punch him in the face even then, uh, but yeah, like this guy, he's a like he's a truly evil character, and like just the notion that he's going to come on there and like smugly talk about you know all of these perfectly legitimate uh, you know claims, especially the one about the journalists. I mean. I remember during the last attack on Gaza, like I was watching in real time, you know, these are journalists, they're all on Twitter. They were tweeting in real time. Oh, they just called and said they're going to launch a missile strike on our office building. And we told them there's no terrorists here. And then they said RT and Al Jazeera who were in that building chose their side in this war. Yeah. Okay, like this was, and this was way before um, Sharina Abu Akhle was uh, was killed. And, you know, they've been doing this for a long, long time. Like the, And the notion that they're going to say things that, like, we watched happen in real time, that we can see news articles on, that we can see tweets on, uh, that we, you know, the Israeli government at the time, you know, basically acknowledged happened. Uh, you know, they're going to say pointing that out is anti-Semitism. And this guy's going to sit there and, yeah. you know, smugly talk. Oh, my God. Like, that's just makes my blood boil. And, you know, you, like I said, you just, like, literally, like, everything I could have thought of to say on that matter, uh, you know, as long as I didn't lose my temper, of course, uh, like, you just absolutely nailed. And, you know, at this point, sorry, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say thank you. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, I was going to say, like, at this point, I think, you know, as we were saying earlier, like, they basically told you that lie about why they fired Katie. And said, oh, no, it wasn't a cop. Like, they totally backpedaled on the the censorship thing. And now they're married to the lie. So, 
I think you can pretty much get away with saying whatever you want about Israel at this point. Well, let's let's hope so. We're definitely gonna, you know, test that theory because they don't plan on, you know, pulling any punches. I know a lot of folks wanted me to immediately come out and do a radar that kind of, you know, was along the same lines as the one that Katie got banned for. I wanted to make sure it came up kind of organically. I didn't want it to feel forced or, like I said earlier, to give anybody an excuse to say that they didn't want to air it because I was being kind of intentionally provocative or sloppy or trying to shoehorn an issue into the news that wasn't in the news. And then this Bill Maher thing just was a, it was like really just got a layup. It was a, it was a. Yeah, no, that that covered it perfectly. Like they even got the apartheid thing in there. Yep. I mean, like they did, they did it. Like Netanyahu and and Bill Maher decided to make the whole radar basically about Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. So it teed it up perfectly. So I'm, I'm so, I'm so glad you liked it. It really means a lot to hear you say that you enjoyed it so much because I know you really do follow these things and consume a lot of the content that I'm putting out there and you have a good basis for comparison. So I really do appreciate that, Jonathan. Yeah, and I mean, just beautifully executed. Also, you know, and like I said, the other segments were great as well. Like the uh, they even covered, because uh, I, I think I've talked on here about it, but I was talking like for the last year or so that I've known about it, about that uh, algorithmic software that they were using that they just recently had a ProPublica article on. Now, the the leasing agent I talked to called it Rent Maximizer, and I think he might have miscalled it, but it sounds like the way he described what it does is exactly what that ProPublica article that that, um, that housing advocate on the segment was uh, was discussing um, described it, and it's, it was, it's called like a Yield Star or something like that. But that's the one. Like, they, they've been using it here for a while. Like, I've known about it for at least a year. And I'm like, that was a great segment. Like, people need to know about that. Uh, like, all of these things, the media thing nailed it. And not just because there was a shout-out toward the end uh, to, to the calling people. But the whole, like, like everything, it was just a really, really good, like, this is great, great content. And, you know, it, it saddens me to hear that this that the numbers are are so low but um you know like honestly like just the fact that you know even twenty-seven thousand people saw that radar of yours uh that makes me happy that means twenty-seven thousand people know that much more about what's going on well look i appreciate that i appreciate you know if you like the video retweet it help it get some more numbers because i do think it's important I'm going to try to get on tiktok one of these days and maybe i can help get some visibility maybe that's maybe that's a a, a, a platform where I won't be curbed. Maybe the the, the Chinese or whatever is supposed to be using that one will will help me destroy America by making my videos go viral. So, um, oh, and my other hope is that maybe you usually when I get kind of like a um, clearly astroturf response to something that I do, there's a 24 hour delay. It's part of how I know it's not a real response. Like it's not people being authentically mad at me. This happened with the Tucker Carlson radar, too. Like, the day it came out, nobody cared. Then the next day, everyone went crazy, and there were Reddit threads and people, you know, piling on about how I was a fascist. So my hope is that maybe tomorrow, you know, APAC or whomever will catch wind of it, get very upset, and then get it more publicity by uh, calling me an anti-Semite. We can do that little dance. So it might not be able to get this video. That may actually work. Yeah. All publicity yeah. is good publicity. Yep. That's that's my thinking. 
Um, but thank you so much, Jonathan. It's getting late. I'm going to try to take Wraith. Um, and I see some new faces. Like, I know I talked to you recently, Howard, because of your cute puppy. Darlene, you don't look super familiar, so I kind of want to call on you. Chris, like, I want to talk Game of Thrones. I feel bad. Oh, shit. Andy, you are up. Okay, I got to take... Okay, let me call, let me bring you up, Andy. Um, keep the faith, Jonathan, because you were up, and then it didn't work, and then he went to the back of the line. Can you hear me? I can. Let's let's try to keep it. Let's try to get out of here. I'll by keep 11 it. And I'll keep, keep it in mind quick. That I also yeah. want to talk to Raid. Yeah, of course. Just quick okay. notes. Uh, good episode. I was doing other stuff, so I, um, so I'm gonna have to rewatch it. But it was it was good. Just to keep hearing about. Um, how, you know, the uh, student debt has gotten back into the public consciousness because it is so important and affects so many people. Um, uh, and I mainly want to talk about last, yeah, the soup incident. Uh, that was with the uh, orange, uh, just up oil. Mm-hmm. I felt that was good. And I feel like we can keep going that direction. I think um, some good uh, steps to go forward are... Um, smelly protests. I think it'll be harder to get the smell. Like if it was a rotten tomato soup, like mm. that would be another thing. Mm. I thought about that stuff with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. If we just put garbage in the senators or whoever was making the laws driveway, that would definitely deter them. But I don't know. That was it. Okay. Thank I you. Like it. You're awesome. Oh, thanks. Thank you for your brevity, Andy. Very, very um, solidaristic of you to save, keep, save the space. For for Wraith. How you doing, Wraith? Can you unmute yourself, Wraith? Oh boy. Someone might get lucky right now if Wraith if Wraith can't get it together. I'm gonna come to the back of this line. Wraith going once. Wraith going twice. Alright. Okay. Okay, Renaris, talk to me. Oh my gosh, it worked. <laughs> Are you baiting me? I like was totally baiting you. Oh my gosh, I've been wanting to hear <laughs> your thoughts on Game of Thrones for quite a while now. Okay, hear me out. Robbie and I have been talking about it because, you know, he's a big GOT head. And we want to do a call-in episode after the finale on Sunday with... yeah. Uh, Ole. Okay. I haven't asked Ole yet, but she's big on Game of Thrones as well. And Robbie was like, I think the three of us would do a really great episode on Colin. I think that would be fun. So So we can save it for that. Can can I ask a couple quick questions? I know you're ready to go. Um, I think that uh, the Hill is getting, like, I haven't received any notifications in a while. I Mm. I haven't watched. Like, I got to go watch the radar from today. And, um, yeah, I think there's some serious shenanery going on there. Um, mm. And the main thing that I really want to talk about was force the vote. I'm glad you brought it up a second ago. Um, Sam Cedar's dumbass brought it up again. I don't understand. Like, I think this issue is one of the most important things that people who are trying to like us, uh, people who are trying to cut through, like, bought so-called progressive, uh, now establishment politicians, um, and they're, they were they were shown to be completely 
liars and disingenuous and not willing to fight for any of the main important things that they said they were supposed to be doing. Um, and not only that, but all of their media apparatus, <laughs> TYT, Sam, anybody affiliated, um, they just used the association of Jimmy Dore with it to, I mean, it was, it's a DSA strategy. Yeah. And they completely, I mean, they put themselves out there for like two seconds and said that they were in support of it because it clearly was a good idea. Mm -hmm. The thing that we should be doing mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm, what phone calls they got to tell them to shut the fuck up, but they shut the fuck up and they used mm -hmm. Jimmy Dore as an excuse to say, oh, well, here's why we're doing it because he's distasteful. Well, <laughs> that is exactly that. That needs to be in their faces all the damn time. Like when we're trying to get any, any messaging that is, that is, Anything that we try to do should begin and end with that conversation being reprised and they have to come up with some kind of reason that they did that. They have to come up with some kind of reason why they did not support force vote strategy, why they allowed AOC and the squad and everybody to continue to support Nancy Pelosi, despite the fact that they, promised they would fight establishment Democrats and be a one-term congressperson. I mean, all of these things hinge in, on this one moment where all of those people were exposed for being completely lying pieces of shit. And I don't think anything that the left, so-called left, is going to try to do anytime in the future is going to be even remotely it's, – it's, Nobody's going to believe anything until they come up with some kind of, I mean, they have to fix it. They have to fix, they have to be shown, they have to be, everybody, they have to be reminded constantly in the public of every, people who are listening, all their viewers, all their listeners, all of their, you know, supporters, the politician supporters, they have to be constantly reminded of that failure, that on purpose failure they failed us on purpose um to keep their power and all of the non-politicians failed us on purpose to keep their access to power and it's disgusting and i'm not going to trust anything anybody ever says again until they admit that yeah it's hard you know what's so funny i um i reached out to someone who is from that's the other side of force of vote who is kind of from one of those media institutions that you just mentioned that was mm -hmm. opposed to force the vote recently. Um, when was it? Oh, I reached out to them because I was wondering if they wanted to come on to talk about the AOC protest with me. Um, they were kind of my first choice of guest because I thought I, I kind of agree with you. It's not an abstract divide, and it's not going away. And the left is damaged meaningfully by that yeah. the split that happened around Force of Vote, and I would yeah. like it to not be there. I would like the split not to be there. And so despite my resentments and my frustrations with people on a very personal level, I, 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 I thought about it, and I said, well, who's the person that I was the least troubled by in the middle of all of that? 
who was also a big enough name in that space who I could reach out to and who might be willing to come and talk to me about an issue that isn't literally forced to vote, but is one of these moments where we can like talk about how willing we are to be adversarial to well, AOC. It's, and a it's basically forced the votes grandchild. I mean, right. Every, every, I mean, everything, <laughs> everything goes back to that. <laughs> I'm going to make t-shirts to say everything is forced the vote. It is. <laughs> Sam um, Cedar just, tried to act like today that he did not have a conversation with you about it. Like he didn't mention. Yeah, I you saw too. that. Oh my god, I, I saw that. I'm gonna I'm gonna make like Cecine Pam Peep shirts, but it's just gonna say "Force the Vote" <laughs> in cursive on top of the picture of a pipe. That would um, be cute. <laughs> I, I would uh, buy one. <laughs> um, so I reached out to someone, and and I don't, I'm not, I don't. They didn't get back to me. I don't know if it's because they didn't see the DM. Like people are busy. I, I don't think it's personal or anything. Um, it's strategic. I, it's not personal. It's strategic. It's purposeful. Oh, look, I, maybe, maybe they just didn't see it. Maybe they're busy. Maybe they're on vacation. Maybe they're not checking their Twitter. Like, they're going to lose their job. Fine. Sorry? They would lose their job. They would lose their access. They would lose their success. They would go against their network. Well, I mean, regardless of, of the motives, I, I do think it's important. Like, I hope that I can get somebody to engage because we can't go on like this forever. I saw today that the... um. The Jacobin podcast is uh, ending, the YouTube show. They're not doing it anymore. And I was thinking about how there was a time when I used to do stuff with those folks. And, like, I used to do shows with Nando Villa and people like that. And the community used to feel a lot bigger. And I was thinking about all the people, you know, that, like, you know, I would have – the show, I think, was was struggling a little bit – to get views and like to engage and it's like oh i would have i think it's good that jacobin has a show and i would have liked for there to be like a mutualistic relationship there and i would have liked to invite people from their podcast onto bad faith and there are all these people that are like not even guest options now because the universe is bifurcated and and in a world before force the vote i probably would have had conversations with anna kasparian and you know had um you know talk to Emma Viglin and Nomiki Konst and we were all a part of the same world and we would have just, the, the world would have been bigger. And um, I don't know. It, it just, it feels so silly. Like I was, it just feels so silly. So look, I, I, I hope. You're be, I, I think hope you're, being to be, kind. you're being kind. It's not, look, it's, it's worse than silly. <laughs> It's, it's not, I mean, it's like, what am I going to do? Like, it needs to be fixed. Yeah. It needs to and be fixed. I don't, I, I think, I mean, it, it goes back to Bernie, you know, dropping out and telling everybody to vote for Joe Biden. You know, it, it goes back to him not fighting. And I feel like the, the ecosystem of all of the leftist, so-called leftist pundits, um, you know, became smaller because, it had been growing. It had been growing and audiences were building around, um, around issues and, um, you know, like legislation and things that would help people. And that when, you know, Bernie led the way to shrinking that and making, I mean, everybody, I'm sure everybody just, looked around and said, Hey, we got to keep our business going. And our business depends on, you know, supporting these, 
vapid politicians who are only going to do what they're not, they're not going to do anything to help the people that are voting for them. They've proven themselves to be just like everybody else. Um, and the people who were cheerleading for the, the people who like the people who educated me about politics at all, you know, most of these people have turned out to be exactly the self. I, I don't know. They're hypocrites. They've, they've turned out to be only serving themselves. Um, and their whole brand had been exactly the opposite of that. And their, their entire outlook on politics that they used to preach and still do is the opposite of that. And it's just so transparent and obvious. And like, it all comes back again to force the vote. Like these things were building up. They were obvious. They were obvious. And then if anything wasn't obvious enough, slap you in the face, here's fucking force the vote. It's so fucking obvious. It's obvious. You cannot argue with force the vote. They try, they can't. They are shown to be children. They are shown to be, oh, Jimmy Dore. Oh, he's distasteful. Fuck you. It, that is yeah. not the, the problem. Your name, like you always said, my name is not Jimmy Dore. My name is Briandre Gray. Yeah. Sam Cedar, if you would let me get a sentence out, my name's not Jimmy Dore. Can we engage on this topic? Got to make those t-shirts too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, look, I, uh, every, look, I, you know, I'm fresh. I, I, no one's look. My private feelings about the, not not so private feelings about this. Like, I, I, I was, I was big mad. I was, I was reflecting. In fact, I guess because of that Sam Cedar clip that was going around, I was reflecting on what it felt like. Uh, in like January, February of last year. Through your anger, you were a, a brilliant demonstration of grace. I, I gotta tell I'm you, I was, I, I remember being very sad. Yeah. I remember being I very sad. I was too, I was crushed. I, cause it was, it was, it wasn't just, it was okay, the actual force of vote, and then there was the, um, you know, the rally in DC, and then there was the response to the rally, and then there was the, interview with Sam Cedar and then there was the backlash to the interview and I remember by the end of the end of it all it was cold it was like February it didn't have a date for Valentine's Day I was sitting in my apartment (laughs) I remember feeling so low I had been fighting with Ryan Grimm who had been a mentor to me and I felt like I was losing all of these like these relationships like that I valued like Ryan and, and David, I would DM them and ask them to explain stuff to me that had happened on the Hill. And I was like, oh, these people that I need, that I learn from, I can't even access them anymore. Well, that's what happens when you follow your integrity and they don't. But it, 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 it hurt. I just I remember feeling at that point not angry, just so sad. Yeah. And it was it was it was just like I couldn't believe the things people were saying. I couldn't believe that Owen Higgins would tweet stuff so spiteful and so antagonistic to people who are fighting for like Medicare for all. Like how could you have right. that much vile in your heart for people who are fighting for Medicare for all, even if you think the strategy is wrong? Like I, I was like I was truly shocked by it. Like you think you understand like the bottom and then mm-hmm. you're introduced to a new level and to this day when I reflect on it, it makes me I have like a pit in my stomach and so it's not that I have like resentments 
quite the opposite. I would love to live in a world where the sadness went away because, you know, people were able to make amends and I could let people that I once valued back into my heart again. The way, like, look, Ryan Grimm and I duked it out off stage, uh, offline, you know, to get to the point where we could have the episode on bad faith and then repair our relationship. And I'm so grateful for it because I can't walk around with that much. I just, I, I, it's not, it's like toxic. I can't walk around with all that resentment in my heart all the time. And I would like to have that experience with everyone else. Now, Ryan and I, we had an actual relationship because we worked together, but, and I don't have that with the others, but I would love to be able to get to the point where we can like at least just be on cordial terms. But it just feels like, and I, I gotta give, I gotta give Chang some credit for at least being willing to talk to me. Yeah. So we'll see. Like I haven't reached out to Sam. I was thinking I maybe I shouldn't have reached out to who I reached out to. Maybe I should have just reached out to Sam. Maybe like this is a moment where I should see if he's willing to talk again. I should see like I, sh I maybe that's the root of it, and I should try to figure that out. I saw someone in the chat a little while ago saying like it doesn't need to be fixed. Leave it alone. There's going to be new people, and you don't need to get together with any of the old people but i don't know well there's it, it I, I don't know i think still. there's a lot of value in those old people there's a lot of people who still follow them who i mean most most people don't have time to figure this shit out without assistance and like there's still i mean i don't know how their views are going but there's still a lot of people who watch a lot of that network um and who agree with them. And if, if, if they were to tell them, Hey, you need to show up at a force the vote rally, they would go there. If, if they, if you, if they were to, if they were to have done it at the moment, it might have been successful, you know, if, and if they were to do it and if we were to somehow be able to get them to get their heads out of their asses, then I, I don't think that's going to happen, but it would be helpful to have their audience come along. Um, because we need them if we can get them. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, yeah. I agree with you on like trying to build bridges and stuff. And I, I, I don't think it's a lost cause. I, it, it may be a lost cause. It's the money um, and the access and their reputation. I don't, they're not, I, I don't foresee them, any of these people going back and saying, you know, I, I was kind of wrong about that, especially with the, balls with which they were wrong you know like the guts it takes for to to do a three-hour interview with you and virgil and and pretend to be as dumb as he pretended to be <laughs> like i just don't see him changing his position on this um but met you like like you said maybe it's, maybe sam maybe I, I think you were probably else. maybe i'll start with maybe, like maybe. um some of the other some of the other folks and work my way up. Um, what's her face? Uh, sorry, I don't mean to say that. That, that just sounded dismissive. I didn't mean it that way at all. But um, I'm locking um, the woman's name from uh, the Anti Antifada show uh, with the door. Jamie, Jamie Peck. Yeah, yeah. Start with someone like that who's, who kind of was m more on the edge and is no longer with right, the affiliated yeah. report and something like that. I'm going to give it some thought. You've given me some stuff to think about, Chris. It's been really nice talking to you. I feel like it is the linchpin of whether the, I mean, you're right. It is, it, I, I don't, I, it's the linchpin of whether or not people are going to uh, reconcile 
uh, the left in any kind of whatever the left is in any kind of way. Like people who said we were going to fight for Medicare for all people who said these are our priorities um, are liars until they say, you know, we should have withheld our vote for Nancy Pelosi for, yes, um, a mediocre floor vote because it would have been good in the news and it would have brought attention to our cause. Just like whenever we, you know, 100 years ago, got the right for women to vote, you know, like it is something, you know, you never would have gotten that. We never would have gotten that. It was not possible and it didn't happen overnight. But you got to start. And right now they're telling us continually, go organize, go organize, go organize. You don't understand. You don't you're never going to get it until you work for another 40 years. And then we're going to tell you to organize again for another 40 years. No, fuck you. Do what you said you were going to do. You said you were going to be a one term Congress one like do it. Yeah. Yeah, and now we're gonna we're gonna lose all of those opportunities to really show what the squad could do because we're gonna lose a house. And... Well, now they're gonna now they're gonna get to look like the good guys because they're gonna get to be the opposition and they're gonna get to yeah. they're gonna get to say the things again. That's they're gonna start talking about Medicare for all again when they haven't said it for they haven't said a word about it <laughs> for the last two years. I think that's probably exactly right, Jesus. You're right. I think that's exactly right, Chris. And people who don't have time to pay attention to it are going to be like, oh, yeah, these people want Medicare for all. That's why I like them. Yeah, it's going to. And we're going to. It's the same cycle. Like Trump's in office. I mean, look, if it was the once in a lifetime chance. It was a once in a lifetime chance. Or once in a generation, at least. Once I don't know. Generation, yeah. It, it was it was truly the stars aligned these two years. But you know what? We did get something out of it. Because it was an opportunity for them to flex and they didn't, we now know something about the limitations of one strategy, electoralism. And that's an important lesson. It's a hard lesson. It's a demoralizing lesson, but it's a lesson that we had to learn this year, these last two years. Yep. And we're better for it. We're a little sore, but we're, we're better for it. And I'm so grateful to have been able to have you all here on this journey because it has felt isolating at times. Well, when you felt alone, we were, your presence was important to us. Like your steadfastness in that moment where you were feeling alone in February um, and you felt like your, you know, your colleagues and your friends, like you were on the outs with them. We were, most of us probably who are listening to you right now were with you on that. We were also betrayed by them. We were also just dumbfounded and like, Oh my God, what is, what have I been investing my time and money into and my emotion into supporting these characters? Like what is going on? Like I felt alone too. And you know, from a distance I was, I was with you. (laughs) Thank you, Chris. I, I, I appreciate it. And I, and I felt it. I felt it online. I continue to feel it. And like I always say, I'm just so grateful for this space. I'm so grateful for all of you and um, it's been a good call in and I will uh, I can't wait to hear your Game of Thrones stuff. Oh I can't wait. Let me I'm going to DM Ole right now because we got to get this going. I think we're yeah. probably going to do it on Monday so we're not up too late. Thanks Bree. Stay keep tuned the faith. guys. Thank you Chris. Really truly keep the faith. You've been a real gem tonight and I'll see you guys on the flip side. I'm going to leave you with a tune that is not at all related to the subject that we ended on tonight.
Kiss the base.